steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! They've slayed the dragon! Daniel. Henry. Back for Daniel. Let's it go, he scores! Ten seconds left of the power play. Here's Hughes, top the point, shoots and scores! Come on without, come on within. You've not seen nothing like the mighty Quinn. Back to Pedersen. Can't find a lane, wants to shoot, goes back to Miller, side of the goal, then to the line for Hughes. Hughes back to Patterson, wanted a one-timer, passes in his skates, he settles it down, throws it to the goal, stopped by Bebo, Reno, they score! It's Brock Besser at the side of the net! Patterson's released from the box, Vancouver's back to even strength, but the Blue Jackets still have it in the zone, Boone Jenner with a pass through the middle, goes all the way down the ice, here's Patterson after him, he's got a chance at a breakaway, Patterson in clean, is tripped by Murray, but he scores! You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott-Wolf. Now here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. What's going on, Vancouver? How are you? It's Raja Shergill. Josh Elliott-Wolf alongside me. Producer Joel Gaudet is here as well. It is Sportsnet Tonight on... Day number two of Canucks training camp, the first day of on-ice sessions went, and uh, there was there was some vomit on the ice, Josh. It was gross out there, yep. that's for sure. It uh, Probably not unexpected, considering what Travis Green has put his players through uh, at, uh, at training camp in the past. I know you and I were expecting this. I think a lot of Canucks fans knew that that would be the case. I'm not sure if Connor Garland and Oliver ekman Larson knew exactly what they were expecting. I don't know if Garland expected to be the player that would uh, throw up, but it was indeed Connor Garland. I believe Thomas Drance gave him an award or a trophy or a cup of sorts on Twitter, awarded it to him for being that player, uh, named after Troy Stetcher, who is notorious for throwing up. Um, But Bagskate, man, all over Twitter, it was causing a stir. Yeah, it was... It's uh, it's the yearly annual time where all we do is just talk about people skating from one end to another, otherwise known as a bag skate. Uh, but yeah, do you think like in the group chat pre pre practice, all the players were like, "Hey, uh, hey, Oliver, you're about to have a really bad time," and he was like, "Nah, it can't be that bad." Yeah. And then he got out there and he was like, "Oh, it is that bad." It was like me and and PE doing the beep test. And I was like terrible at it. I love the beat. Uh, like I'm not I was, lie. I'm not good at it whatsoever. I, no, but you know what? I know people that do love it. But those people are like athletic, athletic freaks. <laughs> at least in my eyes, because <laughs> I'm not very athletic at all. I watch sports. I'm, I don't play them. And it was, uh, it wasn't great for me. I was definitely the Oliver Ekman Larson in my PE class when it came to doing that beep test. But, man, it, it did not look good for a couple of Canucks out there. Ekman Larson was one. Garland was the other. And, and then Ole Levy apparently uh, just passed out, providing a lot of meme-worthy uh, tweets, I guess, uh, when he was just sort of dead in that corner. Yeah. Text in your uh, bag skate-related questions or concerns. 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street and Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. You can also call in 604-280-0650. We will take your calls. We will. We will definitely take your bag skate uh, queries as well. Um, at the same time, 
Tweet us as well at Sportsnet650 on Twitter. Also at Share underscore Raja. That's S-H-E-R underscore R-A-J-A. And Josh Elliott Wolf is at Elliot Wolf J, if I remember correctly. Yeah, if you just search Josh Elliott Wolf, it'll come up though. I'm sure it will. Uh, lots going on. By the way, NFL Thursday night contest is underway as well between the Carolina Panthers and the Houston Texans. It's a game that you don't want to miss. Actually, if you miss it... You might want to miss it. <laughs> there's not a whole lot happening in this game. We're in the third quarter. 7-6 the score right now in favor of the Carolina Panthers. By the way, Christian McCaffrey also going out with a hamstring injury. Not sure exactly as of right now uh, the status of his injury how bad it might be, but he has missed uh, a little bit of action in this game. Chuba Hubbard, the backup quarter, uh, the backup running back in Carolina, the Canadian, has seen some reps as well. Hasn't looked very good, I'll be honest. Uh, haven't watched a whole lot. Uh, we, uh, we were prepping for the show. Uh, a lot of my, our eyes were on DJ Moore because we both have him in fantasy. Uh, who, who's looking great, by the way? He is awesome. He uh, had one really good drive. But after that, the rest of the game, both Houston and both Carolina, not looking great. No, if you took the, I believe, well, I do know what the spread was. I took Carolina as eight-point favorites, and that's starting to look a a little worrisome, but that missed extra point maybe helps a bit. But, yeah, don't rush to your TV to watch this game because it's probably going to end, like, 13 to 6. Yep. Stay for the five W's. Stay for the five W's. It's the five most pressing questions in the world of sports. We will answer them right now using the five W's. Here are today's five W's. Why? Producer Joel, will you please read us our first five W, which is the question why? All right. So starting us off, why are we talking about bag skates? Probably because there's nothing else to talk about, I guess, like. I don't like the conversation about bag skates. It's just, it's something we do every year. And I think every year we realize it doesn't really matter in the end. Like Jay Beagle is notorious for having great bag skates because he was in peak physical condition all the time. But that being said, did you like watching Jay Beagle play hockey? I know I didn't. So really, it doesn't matter too much. I mean, Troy Stetcher was a fan favorite here. And literally every year he would, it just, it hit him hard. And maybe he just throws up easily. I don't I don't know the DNA of Troy Stetcher and what went into his bag skates. But that being said, we've talked about it a lot since Green took over in Vancouver. And I guess you can get a bit of information on a player's conditioning from seeing those videos of the skates. But you really can't grade these guys until you watch them play in games. And even the preseason isn't super indicative of how those players are going to be. So when it comes to somebody like Oliver ekman Larson. I don't, I don't want to push. I don't want people to, to think that we're just ignoring whatever issues might be plaguing him. I'm, I have my own questions about him, but I know we can't really look at him and fully grade him until the regular season starts. He did talk today, and he mentioned that it was a hard skate, but he also talked about wanting a fresh start in Vancouver. It's like every other business you're in, right? Like It's going to be days that uh, you're struggling a little bit, and, and over the last couple of years have been been more days uh, like that but I think I learned uh, a lot from that and and uh, kind of been just battling through it um, even if I was struggling I felt like I was working hard I felt like I wanted to get better and and that's the that's the mindset that I have um, 
I'm super excited to get a fresh start here, and I feel like I'm a I'm a really good player still, and and I have a lot uh, left in me. I am worried he's going to get a bit of the Tyler Myers treatment, where as soon as people saw the signing, they were immediately looking for anything negative, and I'm getting the same vibe with Oliver Ekman Larson. Just give him give him a chance. I have my own questions about him too, but making quick judgments on a guy that's going to be here for a, a several more years is not going to help you feel better about the trade. I believe it's six more years, is it not? Yes. Just just so everybody's clear, six more years at that seven-plus salary cap number. Just want to remind everybody in case anybody forgot. I know a lot of people never talked about it this summer, so just wanted to put it back out there. Yeah, I, I, I forgot, so thank you. I don't understand why we're talking about the bag skate either, necessarily. We're talking about it because people are worried about it. But should we really be worried about it? Like, here's the thing. You and I both could have predicted that at the first sight of something going wrong, Oliver Ekman Larson was going to be the whipping boy. He's literally going to be the guy that I think he got traded for, or all three of the guys that he got traded for, and Louis Erickson especially with Antoine Roussel and Brandon, uh, sorry, and Jay Beagle as well, right? All of those guys were the whipping boys, and rightfully so. They got paid a lot of money, and they never performed up to expectations. But is it going to be the same thing with Ekman Larson? Like, in my eyes, if you're worried about the bag skate and how people performed at the bag skate, you shouldn't be so worried about only Ekman Larson, about only Ole Olevi. You kind of got to be worried about Connor Garland as well, don't you? Because he also never performed well. My point is, it doesn't necessarily make sense to worry because as you mentioned, the bag skate doesn't really mean much when it comes to playing hockey games. Let's give it a rest. There's going to be plenty of games played, plenty of mistakes made for us to critique throughout the regular season. Let's not start this early on after one on-ice session after a bag skate that is notoriously difficult. Who? Who are you most worried about at Canucks training camp? Okay, so building on the theme of this being day one of training camp, at least for on-ice sessions, I don't think that we should necessarily be worried about anybody that was actually there. Right? There's still lots of camp left. We've still got preseason games to happen as well. The Canucks this year, we've talked about, Josh, they've got a lot of depth. So when things don't go right for your favorite player or really for anybody, this year, unlike last season, they've actually got some NHL caliber talent, and we talked about this yesterday as well, that could step up and play a big role, or, or at least in theory, play a big role to try and make up for the player that gets injured or isn't playing well. In my eyes, the players that we should worry about are the players that aren't there, and for me, the main guy is Tyler Mott. And that has to do with the injury trouble. That has to do with the fact that he's unable to attend camp and is likely to miss the start of the season. That's unfortunate because I am a big fan of Mott. I do think that his game has a lot more offense to give. I think the speed that he brings, the penalty killing ability that he brings is so beneficial for this team. It's very much needed for this team to have an energy guy like Mott, who's first of all, he's cheap on the cap, and second of all, he still seems to be growing. There still seems to be more to give in every aspect of his game. For me, the fact that he's coming into camp or coming into the season, whenever he does play, injured again, 
that worries me a little bit because I still want to see that potential get there. I'm just worried it's going to stagnate that growth a little bit that I might see from a guy like Kyler Mott. You can text in your answer, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line, the sports net tonight, Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf. My answer, Travis Hamannick. And I, it might be kind of a cop-out because obviously he's not at training camp right now, but I have a few reasons as to why he worries me. And the first, the biggest, he's not at camp. And obviously we don't know the exact reason, but it's, it's troubling nonetheless when a player is missing training camp whether they're one of your best players, whether they're a depth player. Regardless, it doesn't bode well for their progression and getting up to game shape quickly. The second part is his injury history. I mean, this is a guy that typically, at least once a season, is missing a substantial amount of games because he gets injured. And so if he's not there at training camp, look, that might be good because it gives him a bit more time to rest. But also, he's going to be potentially out of shape whenever he does get to training camp he's going to be behind the eight ball trying to catch up that might lead to some more injuries so that brings me to the third and final point he's supposed to be a big part of the team this season he is supposed to play theoretically with Quinn Hughes whenever Quinn Hughes does sign and if he doesn't play with Quinn Hughes he's probably playing with somebody like Oliver Ekman Larson and still playing a lot of minutes and so for the Canucks to miss a guy like that, maybe it's just for training camp and just for a bit of the preseason, but regardless, they need as many people as possible to be in game shape once the regular season starts, because it seems like Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes probably aren't signing that quick, so they're going to be behind the eight ball. You don't want more people to be trailing behind as well. Where? Where is your confidence level on the Canucks' defensive core? I'm going to say 43%, and I'll tell you why. It's Quinn Hughes' number. That's the main reason why. Uh, also, it's below 50%, and the reason it's below 50% is because they have not done a lot of tangible things over this offseason to really improve the defensive ability on the back end. And look, I mean... The offensive upside, I think, is there. You got Quinn Hughes whenever he does sign. You got Oliver ekman Larson. You got Tyler Myers, Jack Rathbone. And I think it can be a really good offensive defense unit. But who's going to stop players from getting behind the defense and making Thatcher Demko's life a little bit easier? And I still don't see that. And also, the reason I say it's 43% is Quinn Hughes still hasn't signed. And... This defense is so reliant on him, and hopefully he takes a defensive step, but this defense isn't going to succeed if he's not there. You're giving them a failing grade? I am. You're giving them... Just barely, 43. That's that's an F. You can make it up later in the year. That's an F. Bonus I, I, I don't I don't agree whatsoever that this is a team that has a blue line that is below 50% if you're going to call it that. Like, if you're going to give them a, a fail as to how they're going to do this year. Like, come on, man. Last year, it was a failure. You can give it to them. That was, that was like a 10% last you, year. You can definitely give them an F last year. But you got to also admit that last year, you can make the case it was an outlier. I don't know if we've seen that poor defending from this Canucks team in the past because we never saw it in the bubble a couple of years ago. We never saw it all that year. It wasn't great, 
but it was not at the level that it was last season. I think people also gave it a pass that year because they were like, hey, look, it's still it's still growing, and Chris Tanev was still there. And now, like, Chris Tanev was a big missing piece last year. But you know why it was also poor last year? It wasn't necessarily because of guys like Nate Schmidt not having that year that everybody expected because of guys like Tyler Myers or anything. A big part of it was also a player like Quinn Hughes, who never did his part, in my opinion, in his own zone. Definitely. So I think everybody here agrees that there's a lot more to give in Quinn Hughes, right? He is still getting better as a player in the offensive zone and in the defensive zone, I believe, as well. So I'm betting on a bounce-back season for Quinn Hughes. And you know what else I'm betting on? I'm betting on a bounce-back season for Oliver Ekman Larson. Now listen, I'm not expecting him to be anywhere near the Norris Trophy race that he was a handful of years ago. I'm not expecting him to be that type of defenseman anymore, that elite-level blue liner. But I do expect him to be a reliable top four D-man who's probably going to be in that conversation of everybody talking about him being overpaid. But still, a player that you can rely on to play big minutes, transition the puck up the ice, contribute offensively, and not be a straight-off pylon like everybody is making him out to be already on Canucks Twitter. I think the conversation of being overpaid, as mentioned, is probably going to be one that we talk about for the next handful of years as he makes a little bit over $7 bucks. But in terms of his on-ice impact, come on, Josh, it's got to be definitely more than 50%. And we got a text in as well to the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line from Peter saying that people might be over, might be wrong to overreact on Oliver ekman Larson's bag skate today. But the reality is a veteran player earning 8.5 mil per season shouldn't be finishing the skate half the rink, half the rink length behind the pack. That's a bad look, and he deserves some criticism. By the way, a little less than 8.5. A little over 7 mil is what he's making because of the salary retention. Still a lot. Still that's a lot of money. Point. Sure, if you want to be critical of that, that's fine. I think the point that we've made here is that it's not anything to be worried about. There's a lot of hockey to be played still. The season hasn't even started. So when you're going to start critiquing these players, let's wait till we see you in some game action, not the first day of training camp, on a bag skate that, as mentioned, has been notoriously difficult and players have thrown up year after year, including today. When? When will the Jack Eichel and Buffalo Sabres situation get resolved? Man, that is a bad, bad situation in Buffalo. It's gotten to the point where the Eichel camp has asked the league to oversee the situation. They've done their part. Bill Daly was on this station. He talked about it a little bit earlier. Kevin Adams... Also talking with the media today to give a little bit of an update on what's happening with Jack Eichel. Just to back up, I think it's really important to talk about since this process uh, has begun with Jack, his health has been what's most important to all of us, his health as a person. Um, that's from me through our medical staff, the whole organization. I think we would all agree that uh, we were hoping to, as we work through the offseason, to avoid surgery. Um, certainly with any injury, particular in this one when you're dealing with the neck, uh, that would have been best case scenario. Unfortunately, yesterday, Jack did not pass his physical. Um, at this point, Jack is um, not willing to move forward with what our doctors are suggesting is the fusion surgery. Um, so we're going to continue to um, work towards solutions. Uh, I will say Pat Brisson has been um, great to deal with since he's gotten involved in this process. We speak uh, multiple times a day. Um, he's, he's one of the best in the business for a reason. 
Um, and we're going to continue to work at this. But it's uh, obviously a challenging situation, but that's where we are as of, as of this morning. Kevin Adams obviously very upset the fact that Eichel isn't there, that he has to hit his mic every five seconds. <laughs> yeah, he's oh, I'm so angry. <laughs> he's just slapping his mic. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I feel bad for Pat Persson too. His yeah. life just must suck. He's right got now. a lot. Like he's got a lot going on. He's got a, a negotiate two contract with two franchise players in Vancouver, and then their expansion cousins in Buffalo have their uh, the captain or, or their former captain in Jack Eichel as he gets stripped today of that C. Uh, he, he he wants out as well. So the two expansion co- cousins from 1970 are, are not doing a great job uh, for Pat Brisson. But look, here's the thing. This situation needs to be resolved ASAP, man. It should have already been resolved in Jack Eichel's eyes. The problem is that surgery or lack thereof, I guess. Eichel obviously not wanting it. But this is such a bad situation for a player that has obviously deserved so much better on an organization that has just been the epitome of failure. Talk about your 43%, Josh. The epitome of failure over the last handful of years, pretty much their entire history. But let's I be, would give them a 31%. I was going to say, let's be, yeah, let's be real here. Um, look. The captaincy is gone. I think everybody predicted that would have happened. I wasn't necessarily giving it some thought. So when I heard about it this morning, I was thinking, wow, that's uh, not surprising. But also at the same time, like, yeah, I, it makes sense. Like you're, you ha- you've had such a bad relationship with your franchise player, your franchise cornerstone, that it makes sense. That's definitely going to happen. But at the same time, they've got to move past all of this bad PR that Eichel and Sabres are, are putting on themselves. It's not Eichel's fault, obviously, but the fact that they've got all this entire, you know, offseason and really going back to last year to, to figure out the situation and they weren't able to do it, it's tough, obviously, for both teams. The thing is, Josh, when you're an acquiring team and you got a player who's going through these injuries, it makes it tough to acquire him as well. Definitely. And for me, so the question is, when will the situation get resolved? I'm going to keep it short. I'm going to say after this season, which I get the time frame isn't short. My statement is short. I'm going to say after the season. And look, the ball. So you're is, saying Eichel's going to hold out? Yeah, look, the ball is in Eichel's court right now. Like, if he wanted to, he could pay for the surgery, get it done, and then go to the Sabres and be like, look, I'm, I'm rehabbing right now. And this is what I did. And look, they could void his contract, but are they going to void his contract? Probably not then you lose that asset entirely so it's a it's a weird situation i think it's gonna drag out a little bit more and then i think eventually it's just gonna end up it's gonna be an issue until the end of the season and then he'll get moved at the end of the year i would hazard a guess that if he were to do that there would be a lot of ramifications coming his way some legal action perhaps uh some you know tax he might have to pay a fine He's not allowed to do that. I don't see that happening. I, I just think that the like the amount of pressure that's on him and on the organization right now to make this move just it, it needs to happen for the betterment of of both parties in this matter. What? All right, last up on the docket this week for the five W's. What is your favorite matchup of week three? Not the Panthers and the Texans. That's <laughs> for sure. It's fourteen to six right now for Carolina. They just got a touchdown. I missed who got it. I'm sorry. But 14 to 6, third quarter, about six minutes left. Uh, I'm going to say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the LA Rams. And look, I'm not a I'm not a huge Matt Stafford guy, 
I he look through two games in Detroit or through two games in LA, he has looked really good. I'll admit that, but I just don't think he's the guy everybody thinks he is. But that being said, I'm I'm probably ready to be proven wrong. That being said, this game this Sunday is going to be very entertaining. You got two two te- two two and O teams in the Bucks and the Rams, and look, Stafford is dealing right now. Brady looks like he's somehow gotten even younger. And both defenses are good as well. It might be a low-scoring game, but that being said, both teams are going to be firing on all cylinders, and that's why it's my favorite one to watch this week. I will go with uh, my Los Angeles Chargers taking on Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs. They played last week, uh, sorry, last year as well, very early on in the season. Uh, I believe it was a debut for uh, Justin Herbert. It was an amazing game. Chargers came up short. I'll see if he can do the Lamar Jackson and this time actually knock off Patrick Mahomes. That would be great for my morale. I think it's going to be a very interesting game. I think it's going to be a very exciting and upbeat game. Obviously, the the KC defense, I'm not a big fan of. The Chargers defense needs to be better. They just have not looked good so far this season. They keep shooting themselves in the foot, so we might see a very high-scoring affair as well. And also another one that I'm excited to see, Justin Fields getting the start in the Windy City, the Bears and the Browns, both teams have looked pretty entertaining so far this year. So I will uh, be watching both those games as well as all the games really happening on Sunday as it is NFL Sunday Week 3. That's it for the 5 W's. Lots more hockey talk coming up. But on the next segment, we will speak with Dylan Coulard, the president of the Fraser Valley Bandits as their season Uh, as they just announced a a big uh, move as well. We'll tell you what that is coming up on the other side. It's Roger Shergill. It is Josh Elliott-Wolf on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Roger Shergill and Josh Elliott-Wolf. Now here are your hosts, Roger and Josh. 7.32, it is Sportsnet Tonight. Roger Shergill with you. Josh Elliott-Wolf with me as well. 650-650 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbides in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. 604-280-0650 as well. We will take your calls throughout the show. Also, you can tweet us at share underscore Raja and at Elliot Wolf J, the station at Sportsnet650. We will be joined momentarily by the president of the Fraser Valley Bandits, basketball team Josh as they make an announcement they are moving to the Langley Event Center the LEC the beautiful LEC they will be playing their games in Langley they'll be neighbors with the Vancouver well not neighbors roommates with the Vancouver Giants very exciting um for a lot of people in the lower mainland a bit of an easier drive to get there could even take transit too I mean you can't to Abbotsford it's just a bit more of a, a hassle but you know, as someone that used to live in Chilliwack, it was cool that there was a team in Abbotsford, but I do think it makes a lot of sense for the team to move to the LEC and and just be a little bit closer to all the action and maybe get a few more people up to games. I know they get they get they got really good attendance in Abbotsford, and I expect the same in uh, Langley as well. Well, Dylan Kular joins us now, the president of the Fraser Valley Bandits. Dylan, thanks so much for joining us, man. How are you? All them doing well. How are you guys doing? Very well. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, big move to Langley. What goes into the decision? You know what? For us, uh, like we had phenomenal attendance uh, in Abbotsford. Great reception from the communities in Chilliwack, Mission, and Abbotsford, and even people coming from Langley and beyond. But at the end, at the end of the day, 
to be more accessible to the communities in the Fraser Valley and the Lower Mainland. Like Langley is just just that space. You know, like they've really like the the township of Langley and the Langley Event Center have really established themselves as like the mecca of sport. Like you, BC boys and girls basketball championships, volleyball championships, wrestling championships, everything. It's it's really it's really a place where like you know what a lot of people are just conditioned now to go for a lot of sporting events. They're used to it and now you're talking about a 14-minute drive from Guilford Mall or a 20-minute drive from Abbotsford or a 10-minute drive from Maple Ridge. It's, for us, it's we're going to be able to reach a lot more people um, and be more accessible to people, and we're, we're super excited about that. You mentioned all the sports that are already currently at the LEC, and I wanted to talk about basketball specifically just because it, it really seems to be growing across the lower mainland, and I think the Raptors championship helped with that as well. And obviously when Vancouver had a team, that was nice too. Um, but what does it mean for you guys to be part of that growth, uh, part of that growth and maybe coming to Langley helps uh, accelerate that as well? Well, you know, basketball is like one of the most popular sports amongst new uh, immigrants. It's one of the most popular sports for youth. I believe it's like 13 to 17, definitely one of the most popular team sports and participation is on the rise. Like very similar to soccer. You need a ball and net, you need shoes and that's all you need. It's, it's becoming a sport where it's one of the most uh, inclusive and entertaining sports in the world. And yeah, now that we can be at the Langley event center, like they host like many great club programs there. So you have young, young kids playing the sport and then they host uh, club tournaments and then they host the BC championships for boys and girls. And you have uh, youth sports there. They have international events there. And now you have professional basketball there. You can see a true pathway for a lot of these athletes. And now they can, have a point of aspiration to look at Fraser Valley Bandits game and potentially obviously increase their passion for the game. And yeah, like ourselves, the Raptors, uh, our league, like yeah, we're at the forefront of really inspiring a lot of youth to play the game. And uh, Canada has always really been one of those hotbeds for basketball, second still for representation for nationality and the NBA. And we have hundreds of players playing overseas. So to be able to play at the Langley Event Center, where it really is the capital of basketball hosting uh, in BC, uh, we're very excited. Yeah, the the high school basketball uh, championships also take place at the LEC as well. When you go and watch those high school kids all across, uh, you know, the province taking part uh, in in basketball for the school, obviously that they grew up in. What does it? What do you see when you go there at the turnout that the LEC gets for those uh, amateur events? Yeah, like they nearly sell out their boys and girls championship finals, and. Uh, Again, like saying that earlier, like saying earlier, like so many people now, especially in the basketball community, are just conditioned to go to LEC every weekend. Like nearly every weekend, there's some type of basketball club tournament there, whether it's boys or girls or both. Um, you have clubs coming from all over the the Vancouver region, all the way from Chilliwack, all of, and everything in between. Uh, so again, it's the capital of basketball uh, in this province for hosting, and for us now to be able to interact with all these with, with even more basketball uh, programs and coaches and players uh, it's very special to us uh, so we're excited to uh, help all these people grow the game well you, you know you mentioned that they're Canada obviously the country with the most NBAers uh, other than the United States but uh, you know it was tough to see the team fail to qualify for the Tokyo Olympics what kind of an impact do you expect Canada to have uh, in the years to come the Canadian program uh, in the NBA you know what? Uh, we're we're going to continually have going to have more and more 
uh, players who are going to represent the NBA. We're going to have more players who are going to be in the CBL. We're going to continue to grow. Uh, a lot of countries that uh, do super well uh, have their own domestic leagues, and like there's a clear pathway. And what I'm seeing uh, in Canada with basketball, especially, there's there's a really good shift. A lot of a lot of basketball programs now are uh, really focused on collaborations. They're putting the growth of the game and, and youth at the forefront of a lot of their decisions. Uh, so I believe, yeah, in the next hopefully five to 15, 10, 15 years, uh, Canada on the men's side especially can now be competitive to the point where they're always qualifying for the Olympics and the women can maintain it. Um, so, yeah, no, there's, there's a, a very strong movement happening in this country and the CEBL is here at the right time. Uh, and, and we get to be there alongside all those basketball builders across the country to uh, strengthen that pathway for athletes uh, to achieve at the highest levels. So yeah, I expect a lot from Team Canada over the coming years. And bringing it back to the Bandits, uh, I know the season's still a little bit away, but you guys are going into your fourth campaign. What can fans expect to see from the team on the court this season? Well, we're, we're still going to maintain that same mentality. It's the grid and grind mentality that we've had for the last two seasons that allowed us to get to the uh, finals in 2020 and one basket away from the finals in 2021, uh, thanks to Vancouver native Philip Scrub hitting the buzzer beater on us. Um, but yeah, that same mentality is going to be, and that, that same culture is going to be what we bring to Langley. Uh, and everyone can expect the same thing. Like the players that we select, they have to fit that culture. If they don't fit that culture, quite honestly, we don't even consider them. And if the moment they kind of, shy away from that culture, then we we look to replace them. We want people here uh, who want to be here, who want to be in the Fraser Valley, who want to represent uh, the team in this region uh, and really give it uh, give their all when they're on the court uh, wearing that jersey. Hey, Dylan, good luck this season. Really appreciate it. Hope the, the move and everybody comes to the LEC to support you guys. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Thank you so much. We'll see you at the games. For sure. That is Dylan Kular, the president of the Fraser Valley Bandits. You mentioned that they're, uh, they're moving to the Langley Event Center, an absolute beautiful uh, venue. Josh, uh, if you want to go watch Vancouver Giants hockey, that's the place to do it as well. Um, so many great sports happen there on the amateur level as well, and now we're getting to see uh, some professional sports happen there as well, and Fraser Valley Bandits obviously a big part of that. Yeah, and I know a lot of people in Vancouver – they're waiting for an NBA team to come back eventually, hopefully one day. But for now, like the CBL is still really good product, and like I've been to I've been to a couple games when they were in Abbotsford. I'm planning on going to a few more at least when they're in Langley, and like it, it, it's a good place to get your basketball fix. And now for most people that are listening to the station, probably live in the Lower Mainland. It's a lot easier to get there when you live in when they're playing in Langley. Uh, head to thebandits.ca slash tickets to uh, get your tickets for Fraser Valley Bandits basketball now at the LEC. So uh, Thursday night football happening right now. Uh, the Carolina Panthers taking on Houston right now. Uh, Carolina on top 14 to 6. They're in the uh, red zone. I believe they just hit a field goal as well. So it might be uh, 17 to 6 at this point. Um Man, have you seen, by the way, under center for the Houston Texans, Davis Mills. Uh, <laughs> he is like a, a celebrity on Twitter right now because of uh, a picture circulating about his neck. It is it's it is big. It's amazing. Like, I, I've been looking at it for probably a good couple hours now, just in amazement. Because, like, you, you if look you look at, his... at it, 
You look at his neck the way uh, uh, Chris Faber looks at Pod Colson squatting. <laughs> Pretty close. Yeah. Nobody can match that, but uh, I think I come close. But yeah, I don't. If you if you haven't seen it, go on Twitter, find a picture. It's it's just amazing. It's like double the size of his head, and it it's so wide too. And and I don't know. It's it's pretty impressive the the neck girth this guy has, but it, it doesn't seem to be helping the Texans all that much on the field. Trailing, like you said, seventeen to six, um, things not going too well for Houston this year. Obviously, on and off the field. Yeah, and yesterday we talked about what teams have impressed you the most. Houston was on my list because they haven't really ever given up. This game, technically, they haven't really given up either, but they haven't done a whole lot. And obviously, when you've got uh, a third stringer essentially under center for you, it's not great. Tyrod Taylor uh, is supposed to be their starting quarterback. Um, and yeah, like I said, don't be rushing to the TV to watch this game. It hasn't been great unless you've got fantasy implications on it. But uh uh, if you do want to, I think the best reason to check it out is, is just to look at the neck of Davis Mills. Uh, it is Roger Shergill. It is Josh Elliott Wolf Sportsnet tonight on the official home of the Canucks Sports Show 650. want to get to a couple texts, 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. This one, this one coming in from Langley Fun Guy. We're not going to be able to afford all of our young players. I think he's talking about the Canucks. And the ones coming off their second contract. I truly believe trading Brock Besser or Bo Horvat is the thing to do. Personally, I would trade Besser and Levy to Minnesota for Dumba and a prospect. But this past year, I've truly entertained the idea of trading Horvat, and I don't mind that Miller slotting into center. Do you think trade? Do you think trades are inev- inevitable due to the talent on the roster demanding or expecting a high cap hit? So yes, trades are. I wouldn't say inevitable. Are trades a possibility? Most definitely. But is this something that you would entertain when the contracts for JT Miller and Bo Horvat expire? That's when we're going to be having a lot of these conversations, and that is still two years away. Yeah, and look, it's the the Miller and Horvat specifically. Like when we talk about Brock Besser, I know the the player that's always brought up is Matt Dumba because People link Besser back to Minnesota, and the Canucks obviously need defense, and Dumba's available. But that being said, Brock Besser is more valuable than Matt Dumba. And I know Dumba's a defenseman, and they're more valuable of a position, but I do think Besser has verged into a very underrated category, even amongst Canucks fans. Like yeah. I think people every year forget how good Brock Besser is, and look, it's fair I mean, Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes are on this team, and they're a lot more flashy, and they are extremely talented. Uh, so it's easy to forget how good Brock Besser can be. But that being said, the bigger guys, Bo Horvat, JT Miller, they're more of a concern because I mentioned this last night. They're they're in their peak right now. They've got a few more years where if they went to a team, they could legitimately help it win a Stanley Cup. And so if the Canucks end up missing the playoffs this year or just falter out of the gate and just aren't what we expect. I could see, I I don't, I wouldn't say they would request a trade, but I can see that uncomfortable idea starting to come in about, Hey, maybe they don't want to be here all that much. And maybe 
they're going to look elsewhere when their contracts are up. So maybe the Canucks have to entertain the idea of possibly trading them. But I still don't think that's this year. That's a next season issue, and it's very dependent on what happens this year. And you know what? I, I understand the name Matt Dumba coming up because of the reasons that you just outlined. But the part of the reason why Matt Dumba was so intriguing, not only to the Canucks, but a lot of teams around the National Hockey League, was because of the contract status regarding the number of defensemen that the Minnesota Wild and the number of players the Minnesota Wild had to protect going into the expansion draft. But they, as we know, bought out Zach Parise and Ryan Suter, which in turn allowed them to then protect Matt Dumba. They, the Minnesota Wild, also put themselves in a very tight cap situation going down the road, right? They kicked the can down the road a couple of years so they can protect Matt Dumba. That, to me, doesn't say that they necessarily want to trade them, trade him. Now, obviously, when you've got a guy like Brock Besser perhaps being dangled, then you're going to think about it no matter what. At the same time, from the Vancouver Canucks' perspective, and I'm totally on, on your side with this, I don't think that Brock Besser is a kind of player that you should be dealing, unless you've got excess of them. Niels Hoglander is great. Vasily Podkolzin is great. But other than that, when it comes to the talent and the young talent coming up on this team, you don't really know what you have in those guys as of right now. What you do know is as of right now, you've got an elite goal scorer in Brock Besser. A guy who I think can be a legitimate 30-plus goal scorer for you if he could stay healthy. That's been the biggest question surrounding Brock is the amount of games that he's played, and it hasn't been a whole lot. He just finished the last campaign with 100% of the games that he played, but it was a shortened season. So that's a question still, but at the same time, he was probably the Canucks' best forward last season. And to me, that's not a guy that you deal. Yeah, we got a text, 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line saying the same thing. Jordan and Langley saying Brock was by far the best skater last season. I think I agree with that. Niels Hoaglander was up there as well. Uh, but they they do play different games. And Brock Besser, he put it all together last year. And I think that was the main thing Canucks fans wanted is they saw rookie year Brock Besser score a bunch of goals. They saw the next couple of years Brock Besser maybe sharpen his defensive game but drop off a bit in the scoring. And then last last season, he kind of put it all together. By the way, feel free to text 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. This is Sportsnet tonight. Roger Sherwood. Raja Shergill and myself, Josh Elliott Wolf. You can also call in 604 280 0650. We will take your calls. Uh, one more text. I would trade Pedersen and Hughes to Tampa for Sorelli, <laughs> Sergachev, Chernak, and Picks. That's from Keith the Water Guy. Look, I don't mean to clown on this, Keith, but I would not. I think uh, Dan Riccio and, and Randy Janda would call that a deep reach. Yeah, that's a, that's a reach for sure. Deep reach alert we used to have. Yeah. But it's, uh, look, I mean, I can see why some people now want to trade Pedersen and Hughes because a lot of people are unhappy that <laughs> hey, they're waiting and holding up for money. But that's what you do. You wait to get your money. And if you know that you're going to get more money if you wait a couple weeks... You're going to wait a couple weeks. I'll go, I'll go out on a limb and say that uh, Keith is not serious when it comes to trading. I Elias Pettersson so. and, and Quinn Hughes. Um, it's, 
it's weird that we're having this conversation right now. It's based on a text message, right? That's why we're doing it because fans are talking or, or there was a text coming in. But the thing is, I think when you talk about these contracts and what might happen down the road, when it comes to the management side of this Canucks team, and, and as we know, there's a lot of pressure mounting on this Canucks management group, depending on how the team does. They're not necessarily thinking about two years down the road and potentially trading a player that's as good as Brock or as good as Horvat or as good as JT Miller for a defenseman. You are still hoping, and that's the way to think about this, guys. Like, you should not be thinking two years down the road or three years down the road that the team needs to acquire a defenseman via trade. You should be trying to draft and develop defensemen. You should be trying to da- draft they and develop They don't have first picks, though. Like, if you don't have first-round picks, like, it's it's possible to draft somebody in the second or third or fourth rounds, but odds are that's going to be way more of a lottery pick than if you draft a guy even 20th overall. I mean, we saw it with Brock Besser. But they like, still got, like, picks next season, right? Yeah. They, so, like, but it, I guess what I'm saying is, like, at this point, people are looking for immediate help because the help that should have been arriving now – from last season, and well, obviously this this past draft would not have an impact this year, regardless. But when you miss two first round picks in a row, that's going to impact your defensive and or just your prospect pool in general, especially because the Canucks didn't have their first or second last year. Six fifty, six fifty. The Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street or our beauties in Vancouver. Dunbar Lumber. Or online at DunbarLumber.com. Roger Sergio, Josh Elliott Wolf with you. We will continue the Vancouver Canucks chatter on the other side as well. Rob, the hockey guy, Rob Williams, will join us as well. Uh, lots of storylines happening at training camp. None of them regarding trades. So we will not uh, talk to Rob about that necessarily. Uh, but Josh, obviously, uh, there was uh, some vomit on the ice with uh, Connor Garland uh, throwing up after that big bag skate. Uh, and also... Uh, some of the line combinations that we talked about, which players we saw together. If you looked at Calgary and the way that they did things, Josh, their lineup, completely different in training camp than the Vancouver Canucks. They went with more of an NHL uh, lineup, what you might see from them with the Vancouver Canucks. Two different groups, obviously. We did see Tanner Pearson and Bo Horvat together, which uh, personally, for me, we'll talk about this later, uh... Not again. Not again. It's boring. You've seen, we've seen it. The Canucks have all these new toys. Hoaglander's taking another step. Garland is there. Pod Colson's making his debut. And I get it. It's training camp. I'm not looking too much into it because you've got people separated in two different groups. Uh, at the same time, Tanner Pearson and Horvat, that uh, duo, I don't want to see that next year, man. Yeah. I, I want to see. Connor Garland, Bo Horvat, Niels Hoaglander. And, and like, I don't really want to talk about it that much. Like, that's what I want to see. And you have demands. Yeah, I, I want my demands met immediately. Uh, but look, I, I'm willing to see what Travis Green puts together. But yeah, that was, I, I'm kind of done with the Pearson and Horvat. Uh, not really an experiment, experiment anymore, but just the experience. No, I'm with you, man. Like, we've talked about the lines and pairings that we want to see. But let us know, what is something, what's a pairing, what's a line, anything else that you do not want to see 
from the Canucks next season. Let us know, 650-650, or tweet us at Sports at 650, or at Share underscore Raja, or at Elliot Wolf J. We will talk to Rob, the hockey guy from Daily Hive Sports. He'll join us on the other side. It is Sportsnet tonight on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. Now, here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. Just after 8 o'clock, it is Sportsnet Tonight. Raja Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf alongside me. Cheering for Sam Darnold right now. <laughs> yes, as he just gets a touchdown, his second rushing touchdown of this contest. Lamar Darn- Darn- oh. Darnold. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Carolina Panthers just beating up on the Houston Texans, 23-9, to uh, just under five minutes to go. With a chance to make it 24-9 to as yep, well. Yep, exactly, with a chance to make it 24 after uh, the PAT. Uh, Houston, obviously, not a great team this year, but uh, hey, Sam Donald looking good. DJ Moore, by the way, having a great outing in this one. Uh, more than 100 Rushing yards. I think he was at like 120 last time I checked. He's at 126 receiving yards. So if you've got him on your fantasy team, like Raja and myself do, so that's clearly why we're mentioning it. <laughs> yes. You are having a good night. Also, Carolina Panthers probably going to start 3-0. and I don't know who predicted that, but a Sam Darnold-led team starting 3-0. and Rob Williams, the hockey guy, is going to be joining us momentarily. We'll talk to him about all that's happening at Vancouver Canucks training camp. Keep the water, Keith, the water guy, uh, texting in after I said, I think he might have been joking about that Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes trade request. He, uh, he texts in saying, not joking at all. Overhyped. We'll read uh, Keith, the water guy's text and react to that uh, a little bit later on. Uh, keep listening, 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, share your thoughts throughout the program. But joining us right now, he is Rob Williams, was in Abbotsford for Canucks training camp. What's going on, Rob? How are you? Hey, guys. Yeah, I'm good. How was it uh, to see uh, the Vancouver Canucks back and live in action, getting to be at training camp? Uh, what impressed you? What uh, were you uh, looking forward to ahead of your uh, ahead of you going into training camp today? Yeah, you know what? It's just nice to be closer to normal at, at these types of events. Uh, we weren't uh, shunned to the, uh, the the rafters of the of the arena. Like we could actually walk down to the glass. We could uh, walk up to players and, and talk to them. You know, people wearing masks and doing all the, the COVID safe things, of course. Uh, but yeah, it was great to, to to have that. Great to see fans in the in the stands again. Uh, and of course, you know, great to see these these training camp storylines that are, that we follow, uh, you know, on an annual basis. The bag skate, of course, uh, <laughs> provided some some fodder for people online. Uh, but yeah, just overall, just great just to to be back in the rink and and have uh, hockey season here again. Well, we knew somebody was going to throw up. Did you have your money on Connor Garland? <laughs> I didn't. I don't. I don't know how Oli Yulevi didn't throw up. I mean, that's uh, Yulevi's was. The, I know there was. There's talk of a, of, of a few players. Uh, Oliver Ekman Larson. There's a video circulating on Twitter oh. about uh, about his, his uh, skate. Uh, Oli Yulevi was just. I mean, he was in rough shape. Like he was down on the ice in like a snow angel kind of a uh form and 
like you could hear guys going skating by. I think it was JT Miller. It was skating by. I was like, it's like, are you all right, man? <laughs> like, like he looked in rough, rough shape. Uh, so yeah, the legend of Travis Green's bag skate, uh, grows again. Uh, you, you know, I guess it's what the Garland wins the Troy Stetcher award. I guess that's what we're calling it. Um, yeah, just, just, uh, it's, it's just one of those, uh, one of those things where I, I, you know, at times I wonder, because, you know, we're, we're so focused on the Canucks, do we build it up too much? But, uh, you know, a new player comes in and, and, uh, loses his lunch on the ice. Um, yeah, I, I think the legend has grown again. So that's kind of the, the low lights of the first day of training camp. Was there a player that impressed you, not just in the bag skate, but overall today that really stood out and you were like, man, that guy looks like he could be prime for a good year this year. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to read too much into like, like a, like a practice. There was no scrimmage or anything like that. So I, I'm, I'm low to like re- read too much into it. I will say the silly Bud Coles and, uh, felt like every time I was paying attention to him, he was either ringing one off the bar or he went, he went bar down. Another time I saw, you know, his, his shot looked really heavy. Uh, so Pud Colson was, was probably the guy that I was, uh, you know, the most impressed with in terms of, you know, I don't think you're, you have too much of an eye on, on a guy like Bill Horvat and something like this, right? It's, you're kind of looking for those, those young guys to, to, to really step up. And then if we're, you know, not to, to harp too much on the bag skate again, but Will Lockwood was well ahead of uh, other players in his group. So, you know, showing pretty good fitness there as well. Um, but yeah, that, I, Pod Colson, I think is, is the guy for me that, that, that I was impressed with. And, and I think that's something that we're going to be monitoring too, is, is we know, we know what type of player he is, you know, what's his scoring touch going to be like? He hasn't been given a ton of opportunities in the KHL, uh, given a bit more of a chance in the playoffs and showed pretty well. Um, but what, you know, is he going to be able to translate that to, to the NHL? Is he going to be able to score enough to be like a first line player or a, or a high end second line player? Yeah. And you know what? Vasily Podkolzin is obviously a player that a lot of Canucks fans are excited about. When, when you talk about Podkolzin's impact on the Canucks next season for you, where do you think right off the bat that you expect him to expect him to suit up and, and what kind of an impact do you think he can make in an NHL ice surface? Yeah, it's really interesting, right? Like, I, I think the, I think the long-term plan is I think they want Jason Dickinson to be centering a checking line on the third line and have that free up some opportunities for Bull Horvat to play in more of an offensive role. I think that's, um, you know, I think a lot of people would, would share that sentiment. Um, if you're going to be building a, a checking line around Dickinson, I think you want to have Tanner Pearson on that line. That would make a lot of sense. Um, Pod Colden, I think long-term projects into a guy that could play that, that sort of role. Cause he's, he's a good two-way player, but do you want to throw him into a matchup line role right off the hop as a, as a rookie that, that I'm not so sure about. So if it, it, in once, so in one sense you think, okay, maybe you play him on Dickinson's line, but in another sense you go, okay, well maybe he'd be more well-suited playing with, with, Bo Horvat and and being more of an offensive role. So uh, I, I see him in, in that middle six range to, to begin the year, and, and it really just de- depends on how you want to 
utilize Horvat and Dickinson. And, and all of this is, of course, in the, under the assumption that they don't start the season without Elias Pedersen, because uh, if he's not there to start the season, then the, there's going to be a huge trickle-down effect. Uh, one player that was absent from training camp, Travis Hamannick, at least for now. Um, not going to ask about his status or anything, but what kind of an opportunity do you think that gives uh, some defensemen? I know there's already the battle on the left side, but what about the right side when it comes to Jet Wu and Luke Shen? What do you kind of expect to see from them? Yeah, I, I don't see uh, Jet Wu making the team, but I do think it would – you know, certainly open up a, an opportunity for a player like Luke Shen, uh, perhaps even further down the lineup, a player like Brady Keeper, I think could, um, you know, that, you know, if, if Hamannick's gone for any length of time, I, I think that that opens up, definitely opens up opportunities for both of those players to be able to prove themselves. But uh, we'll see. I mean, it's sort of a, you know, Jim Benning seemed very confident yesterday that, he, <laughs> that Hamannick was going to be, was going to be joining the team. So, so I think I was still penciling him in, I think. Uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely a bit of a mysterious uh, situation with him being absent today. Rob Williams is joining us here on Sportsnet tonight. Roger Shergill alongside Josh Elliott Wolf here on Sportsnet 650. Um, you know, we talked about Barry Keeper and, and Luke Shen, and obviously the drop-off from last season isn't a whole lot when you talk about the depth of player that is going to be coming in if there are injuries. Uh, you know, especially in the forward group, adding guys like Phil DiGiuseppe and Nick Patan and Justin Dowling. These are guys with NHL experience. What kind of an impact are they going to make whenever things go awry for the Canucks and you need to call one of them up from Abbotsford? Yeah, I mean, I think that's massive to have that that depth in your uh, in your organization to not only have the, the you know to be able to go you know four, five, six players deep, but also to have competition within those those players that are kind of bubble bubble NHL players. So you get the you you don't just call up you know the one bubble guy that you have in your in your organization. You've got five or six guys competing for that spot and you're taking the player that's the hottest at that moment. And you're bringing up a player that's played NHL games before you're, you know, you're playing, bringing up a player that that's not, you know, 21 and you're, and you're maybe just giving them an experience. You bring up a player that's maybe 25 and, and more in the prime of their, in their careers uh, so I think it's it's, it's definitely going to going to be a, a you know, certainly a good thing for the for fans of going to Abbotsford Canucks games. I, I think they're going to have a pretty good team this this season. But yeah, definitely like organizational depth is is you know an important thing, and I, I think that's something that that the Canucks are going to be helped with by having Abbotsford. Uh, you know, you get these players like. Nick Patan, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm him, you know, do I want to sign with the Canucks if I know, well, okay, maybe I'll be in Utica or maybe I'll be in Vancouver or maybe I'll be spending half the season there and half the season in Utica. That's not, you know, for quality of life purposes. I think it's nice to be able to know you're going to be playing, uh, you know, in the lower mainland, you can get your home all set up. And of course, for him, he's a local guy, so it's extra importance. Um, I think that the whole situation with having Abbotsford here is going to going to be helpful for the 
for the Canucks, um, you know, particularly, I, I think it did help them lure those, you know, those, those bubble NHL players, those AHL guys uh, to the organization. And it seems like the depth is going to be an immediate factor on the left side of the defense where it kind of, it, it seems like it's going to come down to Jack Rathbone, Olya Levy and Brad Hunt to start night one on the third pairing on opening night. Is there, is there one of those players that you hope emerge? And is there someone that you think is the odds on favorite to take that spot? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we all hope Jack Rathbone takes that spot. Uh, the only, I mean, the only question is, you know, is he, you know, does he, does he need more, more seasoning in the AHL? He looked, he looked ready, you know, when we saw him in the, just a handful of games at the end of last season, but also, you know, he's an offensive guy. There's not really a spot for him on the power play. I mean, you know, Oliver Eklund Larson is going to be on that second power play unit. They can throw Tyler Myers might even be ahead of him, ahead of Rathbone as well. Uh, and of course, Quinn Hughes, assuming he signs, is going to be on on the first unit. So, if you're bringing Rathbone in, can he can he be steady enough to be your third pair guy? Particularly if that's being paired with Tyler Myers, because you don't want two gunslingers on your third pair, I don't think. So, uh, not to say that that's that's that that's what Rathbone is right now. I think that we're, we're going to have to see. Like, can he? Can he be that steady, uh, you know, steady presence on on the third pair to go with all of the things that we know he can do? That he can move the puck and 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 ha- show those great offensive instincts. What are the the line combinations that we saw today? Featured Tanner Pearson on the left wing alongside Bo Horvat. I think when the Canucks went out and acquired Connor Garland, and you knew that Vasily Podkolzin was going to be in the lineup as well, and you project Niels Hoglander to take another step, I, I think a lot of people were expecting that Pearson would be away from Horvat this season, and obviously that could still be the case. But when you see Pearson alongside Bo, are you thinking that Travis Green is thinking that that's a, a duo? that he wants to stick with or is a player like Garland and Pod Colson and, and potentially Hoaglander those guys more likely to be on his wings and not Tanner Pearson yeah no I, I think that that made me raise my eyebrow as well uh, seeing, seeing that Pearson was was starting with Horvat um, you know they had Zach McEwen on the other wing so you know that I don't think McEwen is going to be starting there but I do think that you know, he could be a placeholder for, you know, or Pod Colson or a Hoaglander or Connor Garland on that line. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't necessarily think it's like an awful move to keep Pearson and Horvat together. I think they've shown some chemistry in the past. It wasn't best, Pearson's best season last year. But again, going back to what I said earlier, it really depends on, you know, how are you utilizing Horvat and Dickinson? Are you... you treating Dickinson as a, as a true matchup center and playing him against all the other team's top lines, or are you going to still give Horvat a lot of those, a lot of those minutes, um, you know, depending on, on your philosophy on that, I think that uh, can affect where you want Pearson to play because, uh, you know, we know he's a, a good defensive winger uh, to be in that spot. So I think Pearson, we're probably going to end up seeing whatever line Pearson is on. That's probably going to be the, you know, the checking line, right? Or the or the matchup line if it's if it's with Horvat. Hey Rob, really appreciate the insight and the thoughts, man. Hopefully we'll talk soon and uh see you at training camp soon. Sounds great, guys.
Thanks so much for doing that. That is Rob Williams from Daily Hive giving us some of his time. He was at Abbotsford today talking about training, uh, taking in training camp and giving us some of his thoughts, what he saw uh, at uh, training camp as well. Tomorrow, day two of on-ice sessions will resume. Uh, Josh, I'll be there on Saturday to take in the action. Finally get to watch some hockey, some Canucks hockey, uh, live and in person for the first time in two years almost, right? Like, it's it's amazing that uh, we'll be back, we'll be able to get back in Rogers Arena and uh, a little bit more of a, a sense of normalcy coming next year. It's been a minute, and uh, I won't be there, but you know where we both will be tomorrow? We Vancouver w- Giants preseason game out in Maple Ridge. Giants season also getting going soon. Um, so that's exciting. But yeah, as far as Canucks go, uh, a few days away from preseason games still. But yeah, it's 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 just nice to have hockey back. And if you're a fan, like you haven't been able to watch your team play since 2019. And now they're coming into a season with a lot of new faces, probably a lot of players that you haven't even seen play in Vancouver Colors before. So exciting on all fronts and should be a fun year for the team. Hopefully, hopefully it doesn't go like last year where it was just a slog to get through. Uh, by the way, Vancouver Giants hockey that you mentioned will be at will also be uh, on the air tomorrow as well. So you can listen to the Vancouver Giants uh, preseason contest tomorrow from Maple Ridge. Uh, we will broadcast it here for you on the home of the Vancouver Giants, Sportsnet 650. Um, Thursday Night Football has wrapped up a victory for the Carolina Panthers, 24-9. to uh, Did you win your bet? I won my bet. That's a, that's a big... Honestly, I don't know if a lot of people had this uh, the same issue this past Sunday. It did not go well for me. I think I, I put down seven different bets, and I won one. So this uh, this makes up for that a little bit. But, yeah, it was a big one for the Panthers. They're 3-0. and The Texans kind of look like the Texans we thought they were going to be. And Davis Mills did not really inspire that much confidence. Did you really expect him to? I mean, with that neck, I did. <laughs> sure. Hey, and listen, here in Vancouver, we we've got a player in Tyler Myers who's got a a very big neck as well that a lot of people look at and uh, kind of raise their eyebrows at. I don't think he has anything on Davis Mills. No, that's a weak neck when Com- you compare it to Davis the neck Mills. Yeah, I think he works it out. Yeah. Apparently, he saw Tyler Myers and he's like, "I'm not getting beat by that guy." No, definitely not. Um. So earlier, uh, we talked about Keith the Water Guy's text. Uh, he's texted in saying the Vancouver Canucks should deal uh, Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson. Can't find the original text right now, but uh, I would. I gotta hear. Okay. So earlier, Sportsnet tonight, Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott, Wolf, six fifty, six fifty, Dunbar Lumber text line. I would trade Pettersson and Hughes to Tampa for Sorelli, Sergachev, Chernak, and Picks. So I responded to that saying I think he's kind of. You know, saying it tongue in cheek, a little bit of uh, a little bit of a joke there. Uh, he replies back saying, "Sorry, I was driving and couldn't text back." Um, but I would 100% trade those guys. Pedersen and Hughes, number one C and number one D, shouldn't be soft and brittle. Yes, they are good players, but they don't deserve the type of money that they are trying to get. Overhyped. Trade them while they still have value. Once they get paid, they will be untradeable. Keep the water guy. Okay, so Pedersen, I don't know how you consider him soft and brittle. He is small in frame, maybe, but he gets in on the forecheck. He plays 
amazing defense. He's one of the best defensive forwards in the league. And that was in his rookie year. Not even, like, he didn't even grow into that. He came into the league already an elite defensive forward. Look, Quinn Hughes, he's also a small guy, but his defensive game isn't really there. But I wouldn't call him soft and brittle. Like, he doesn't get injured. I know Pedersen had an injury, but it's not really one that should be a recurring issue. It's more of a an issue that kind of gets dealt with and then once you've gotten the surgery and you've gone through rehab if it happens again it's probably a, a bit of a fluke whereas some other players have repeating injuries but I there's no doubt in my mind that whatever the Canucks pay Pedersen and Hughes if for whatever reason they wanted to trade those players which they don't <laughs> they would still be able to trade them at whatever they pay it's um yeah no doubt in my mind it's September uh, hockey season is just around the corner. The the, the things season. get wild. Yep, and you know instead of talking about uh, the team on the ice, the team that uh, acquired a lot of players that are hoping to bounce back, we're talking about trading Pedersen and Hughes. Come on, Keith, the water guy. Do you want to be Buffalo? Because this is how you be Buffalo. Because <laughs> Buffalo is really thinking about trading. Well, not thinking about. They're going to trade their captain, their franchise player, and things are not looking good. In Buffalo, you do not want to resemble the Sabres in any sense whatsoever. Their jerseys are pretty nice. I will give you that. But uh, past that, no, nothing. Uh, so, you know, we're talking about uh, the two best players in Canucks history. We could be talking about the two best players in Canucks history when it's all said and done. Yeah, those aren't guys that you really want to trade. Um, so, you know what? Keep. I'm not necessarily going to entertain that much more. Because uh, it's not going to happen. Canucks aren't going to do it. Uh, another text uh, coming in. Only uh, one thing you have to keep in mind is Brock's improved all-around play. He is turning into a complete player. Hold on to him. Definitely agree with that. Um, especially the style that Travis Green plays, right? Or he likes to play. Because Travis Green, you need to be responsible if you want to play with him. And uh, just ask Nikolai Goldobin. You can have all the skill in the world, but if you're not sound defensively at least a little bit, then you're not going to get much ice time. And with a player like Brock Besser, obviously in your rookie year when you're still adjusting to the, the speed of the NHL, you might have some question marks about that. But Green still at that time showed trust in him to keep on putting him out there in, the, in defensive zone draws as well, even if the team was down or up. It didn't really matter. It was all about that development. And it paid off because Brock has really turned into a sound two-way player. And I think when you... I think everybody expects still, like to this day, there to be more offensive output from Brock. Do they not? Definitely. It hasn't been... He's been injured. We haven't seen a full 82. But if he does play a full 82 and he remains healthy, the the ceiling that he could reach offensively, Josh, is still... They're still untapped. Yeah, definitely. We haven't seen it. It's it's a situation where you want to hold on to this guy because when he is somebody, when you have a really good team and you have a team that's maybe competing for a Stanley Cup and can potentially go deep into the playoffs, you want that guy on your, even your second line. Like probably your first line, but if if you have a guy like that on your second line, you think back to 2011, like, like he's not going to play the same way Ryan Kessler did. But Kessler was giving a lot of offense on the still in the top six, but not 
it, it wasn't a one-line team, and that's what the Canucks need to become is a two, three-line team like we saw with the Vancouver Canucks back in 2011 and any Stanley Cup contender since then, especially recently with the influx of more offensive potential forwards realizing that potential. That was a weird way to say that. <laughs> but teams are having three scoring lines, and the third-line checkers aren't really a thing anymore. And I know... There are players that are still really good defensively, but most of them can still put up points now. So if you have a guy like Brock Besser that can still provide defensively and also put up 30, 35 goals in a year, that's huge. And that's not a guy you want to you wanna let go. I, um, I also think that, you know, when it comes to Brock Besser and the, and the Canucks forward group that they have right now, it's the best forward group that the Canucks have had in so many years. The last thing, Josh, that I want to do at this moment is talk about trades. Like, that's not anywhere on my mind. I would actually like to see how this forward group plays next season because, like I mentioned, I don't think it's been this good in, in almost a decade. It's been a while, for sure. Definitely. And now the Vancouver Canucks, obviously, questions surrounding that defense. But from an offensive point of view, it's going to be an exciting season. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott, Wolf. It is Sportsnet tonight on the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650, back with more content coming your way uh, here on the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Sportsnet tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. Now, here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. Just after 8 30, it is Sportsnet tonight. Raja Shergill. And Josh Elliott Wolf with you up until 10 o'clock tonight. Bill Daly was on the station, Deputy Commissioner of the NHL, with Scott Rintoul and Jamie Dodd earlier today on Rintoul and Sermon. We will replay that for you coming up uh, in about half an hour's time, or maybe an hour, depending on what we decide. We'll, we'll figure it out as we go. <laughs> yeah, but we will bring you that replay. We're very prepared here on Sportsnet tonight. Uh, National Football League action, as mentioned, Thursday night, it goes today, or it did go today, 24-9. Carolina Panthers improving to 3-0 as they knock off the Houston Texans. Uh, lots of Vancouver Canucks talked throughout the show today. Uh, haven't really talked a whole lot about what was happening across the NHL. Lots of storylines, Josh, especially when it comes to Buffalo. <laughs> the Eichel situation uh, takes a different turn today as uh, Kevin Adams uh, confirming that the team has stripped Jack Eichel of his captaincy. Not really a surprise moving move, is it? No, I mean, like, you know the guy probably, he's not going to play for the Buffalo Sabres ever again. Most likely. And when you're in that situation and you're a team that is a young team, you're probably not going to do very good this year. You don't really need a captain, I wouldn't say. And, like, in my opinion, from the outside looking in, I it's hard to know what that locker room is like, but it seems like the obvious next choice would be Rasmus Dahlin. But who knows if he's actually ready for it yet. So, um, it, it makes sense. It, it, it'd be a weird thing to kind of hold over. Who Who should it not be? <laughs> Who should it like probably anybody it, else on Buffalo? Like I is, need to is, is there a scenario that it could be like Jeff Skinner? Because <laughs> he gets paid like nine million dollars a year. He put up that forty goal campaign a couple of seasons ago before he got the before he got that contract and and now he's just sort of coasting in Buffalo. Probably still gonna be playing in their top six. 
And, you know, like, you need a veteran leader. Do they just give it to a guy like Jeff Skinner? Or do they say, no. Yeah, like. Ro- okay, wrong answers only. Who should get the captaincy in Buffalo? Um, Maxim Finneganoff does not count. Dustin Dekarski. He's still playing. Man, when he, he, did he not? I'm pretty sure he played a game for Buffalo last season. He played 13 games for Buffalo last season. I forgot he was a person. And then he came back and he just, he started doing Dustin Tokarski things. And here's the, um, sorry, here's the thing with Buffalo and this captaincy. Why I believe that they will actually give this captaincy to a player like Jeff Skinner. Okay? And... Stop it. They're not giving it to Jeff Skinner. Here's That'd be like giving it to Louis Erickson if Bo Horvat a few years ago was like, hey, I'm not I'm not playing this year. <laughs> just 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 hear me out here. This is why I think they're gonna give it to Jeff Skinner. Because over the course of the Buffalo Sabres t- uh, you know, tenure in the National Hockey League, there haven't been a whole lot of great captains on that team. This is a team that once gave the captaincy to Steve Ott. You remember Steve Ott? He was a grinder. He he, he wore the C. But he also, like, he embodied, I guess, what traditional hockey people want to see in a captain where he, but you don't he know works what, hard every night. You Jeff know? Skinner doesn't work hard? <laughs> I assume not. He got paid, and then he was like, hey, guys, I'm kind of done. Or or how about veteran player Cody Eakin? Is that a player that you can see as captain? That I would understand. I would still assume they would give it to Anybody else first. Like, okay, look, they got guys that are coming up. Like, Rasmus Dahlin is obviously the pick, but let's say, like, Dylan Cousins might be the guy, too. Or who else plays for Buffalo? Newly acquired defenseman Robert Hag. Yeah, Henry Yokoharu. Yeah, Drake Kajula. I might get the captaincy in Buffalo this year. You never know. The, the thing is... You're right. It's it's Rasmus. I think when you when you just sort of look at their when you just sort of think about their team, I think the face of the Sabers now is obviously uh, Rasmus Dahlin, and that makes sense. That being said, he hasn't really projected or panned out the way that a lot of people expected him to as a first round, first overall draft pick. And and I don't like to, you know, trash on a player like Dahlin in that situation because. You're playing for the Buffalo Sabres. You haven't had a whole lot of help. You're being asked to do a whole bunch of different things. And in his first season, he picks up more, like almost 50 points, I believe it was. And the offense is definitely there. The defense, necessarily, in Darlene's game hasn't been great. He's taken a little bit of a step back in his overall performance as well. So I think Darlene gets that new contract a little bit more than what I expected I think he got $6 million. Yeah, he got three by six. It's the player in the long term makes sense. But the way he's panned out, I don't think he's going to be Darlene. If they are going to choose a captain, I can definitely see it being Jeff Skinner or or uh, or Cody Eakin. But in my honest prediction, they're not going to name one. But it's fun to guess who it could be if they were to. We got an unsigned text. Buffalo needs to bring back Rob Ray and his rabbit punches just so he can be the captain. You know they had uh, Craig Ravey as captain? 
of the <laughs> Buffalo. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and say they did not have a lot. Of, they haven't had a lot of good players, period. Former Vancouver Canuck legend Thomas Vanek was once a captain with the Buffalo Sabres. Was he Sabres. a captain in he Buffalo? He, he was there for a while, though. Okay, I understand that. Vanek and uh, Steve Ott uh, shared the captaincy. That's a weird thing to do. Jason Pominville was captain. Jochen Hetch was captain. Uh, this is a depressing list. I don't know. But speaking of Darlene, okay, so you mentioned he's kind of dropped off a little bit. By the way, this is Sportsnet tonight. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott. Well, if you could text in 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line, we will take your text. Honestly, if you text in about anything, we will probably talk about it for at least a few minutes. Uh, but going back to the 2018 draft, so that was obviously Rasmus Darlene going first overall. And... The thing with Darlene and the thing that separated him was, A, he's an 18-year-old defenseman that can come in and immediately make an impact, which is rarely seen for defensemen. Aaron Ekblad is probably the only other guy. Did he even start? He, yeah. But he, he was one of the other guys, and obviously he went first overall because of it. But he was also supposed to be really good offensively and very sound defensively. He was supposed to be Victor Hedman. And... So far, he has not been Victor Hedman, and that's not his fault. Like you mentioned, he plays for Buffalo. Uh, but if you were to redraft 2018, like, where does Darlene fall? Like, for me, I have Quinn Hughes ahead of him. I don't know if I have Quinn Hughes first overall. Uh, you got Andre Svechnikov, who's definitely ahead of him. It's probably between Svechnikov and Hughes for first overall. Brady Kachuk, I would take over him. You wouldn't take Jesperi Kotkaniemi first overall? <laughs> I would not. Would Carolina? I would take Barrett Hayton first overall. Um, and then past that, Ty Smith, honestly, is kind of in the tier where I don't think I would take him over Darlene just because of potential, but he would be really close. And if Ty Smith has one more really good year and Darlene has a bit of a, uh, another year where he's not really realizing what the potential or the potential that people thought he might have, I might take Ty Smith over Rasmus Dalling. I still think players that haven't really become superstars as of right now, because of that potential that they have, because of how they, because of how they've played uh, in the American Hockey League level, a player like uh, Philip Zadina would still be at the top of the list. I think the Red Wings are obviously at least hoping that he could have a, a record-setting year this year in terms of his in terms of his development. Um, also. Keandre Miller has been a, a... He's been really good. He's been really good with the New York Rangers, and that was a player that was drafted in the 20s. Uh, so that is also a player that you look at and, and project him up up, up uh, higher in that draft. The thing is, there hasn't been a whole lot of players that have necessarily panned out yet. Not to say that they won't. There still has a lot of potential in a lot of these guys. Evan Bouchard is going to play with the Edmonton Oilers as well. I think a lot of people are excited in New York about Vis Vitaly Kravtsov as well. Um, and, and, you know, Brady Kachuk, that's another guy that needs a contract in the nation's capital in Ottawa, and his offensive ceiling isn't as high, I don't think, as other players that were in that draft, but the intangibles that he brings, the physicality that he brings, and the overall kind of player that he is, I think a lot of people like that kind of player. So I wouldn't be surprised what, by the time it's all over. he is He's still a guy that's in that hunt for top three if you were to do a redraft 10 years from now because of the way he plays and because of what he brings. And Matthew, I think, is a better player when it comes to offense, but they both play a very similar physical um, physical style. Yeah, and Brady has probably, like, if I was to draft one just based on higher potential, I would pick Brady over Matthew. Really? Yeah. Just, like, it, 
I think I would still go Matthew. It's tough because Brady has been playing in Ottawa for his whole career. Well, Matthew, at least like the Flames don't have a lot of offensive weapons, but they have more than Ottawa. Uh, We get a couple texts in. This one from Byron. Guys, Nick Foligno was captain for a while for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah, but like, who else was playing for Columbus? I get it's the same issue with Buffalo right now. And then another one, unsigned. Why are you making fun of the Sabres? Have you gone through past Canucks? It's equally as bad and neither have a cup. Here's the thing I would say. The Canucks have had a lot of good individual players that if they were on any other team, they would probably still be like a franchise legend. Whereas the Sabres had like a decent, they had a pretty good team in the early 2000s, mid-2000s when they went to the Stanley Cup final a couple times. Um, But I still wouldn't say they really had any, not any, but not as many individual elite talents as the Canucks did. I mean, you look at Pavel Bure, Marcus Naslund, the Sedins, now Pedersen and Hughes. I mean, they had Eichel and Dahlin. And it's just it's just not working out for them. But those two, they could have been the guys that were the I mean, future for sure. The Sabres did steal uh, the uh, you know Gilbert Perot from the Vancouver Canucks essentially after that wheel of uh, oh, that terrible. That's wheel. why they don't use wheels anymore. Yeah, you know, exactly. Apparently, you know, so they've gotten some from some very great players in Buffalo over the over the number of years that they've been around for. I guess that's the same amount as the Canucks, fifty one or whatever it is. Um, and, uh, you know, Pat Fontaine, obviously, and uh, Canuck legend uh, Ryan Miller is part of that list, too. He's going to get his number retired in Buffalo, isn't he? Yes. He he, he's got to. So they've got some good players. They've got some good leaders. But come on, it's the Buffalo Sabres. That's why we're making fun <laughs> yeah, of them. It's Buffalo. You could just end at Buffalo. It's Buffalo. That's why we're making fun of them. And, uh, you know, we being in Vancouver, we're – we're kind of the laughing stock here in Vancouver amongst the, the National Hockey League team that lives here. No cups. We've heard what they've said about the Sedins for so many years. I think Canucks, uh, I think people that are from Vancouver that are, have grown up watching the Canucks can can dish it out to a couple of teams as well. Like We don't have a whole lot of teams in Vancouver to make fun of because almost every other team is a lot more accomplished than Vancouver. So when you can make fun of Buffalo, I think you can take your shot. Yeah, Canucks fans have like four teams they can make fun of. It's Buffalo, Arizona, <laughs> Ottawa, Col- Columbus, I guess. But who wants to make fun of Columbus? Yeah, like, you is- just look kind of you look like a jerk if you make fun of Columbus. Like, hey man, like it's like picking on the the little the little kid at the party, and you're like, hey, what are you doing here? Um, <laughs> but it's good that you bring up Buffalo because I was we were talking a little bit about the off seasons that some teams had um, and what were a little bit underwhelming. And I think my answer, and you can text in your answer, 650-650, which NHL team had the most underwhelming off season? And now that the off season is officially done, you can really grade it in full. Uh, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. This is Sportsnet tonight. Roger Chergill and myself, Josh Elliott-Wolf. Um Mine was Buffalo. And the reason for that is, look, you didn't expect them to add a bunch of players and all of a sudden be a really good team that's uh, competing for a playoff spot because that just was never going to be in the cards for them. But the real reason it was underwhelming was because I just wanted to see Jack Eichel get traded. And when they did not trade Jack Eichel, I was underwhelmed. And 
They didn't really do anything else either. I mean, they made a few minor trades, a few minor signings. They brought in, like, Craig Anderson. I didn't know he was still playing hockey. I thought he had retired. And just overall, it was a very Buffalo offseason. It doesn't take a whole lot to have an entertaining offseason in the NHL. And when you have a player like Jack Eichel, they could have made really any trade and they wouldn't have been on this list. Because it's a superstar getting dealt at the end of the day. And that's very exciting. Doesn't really matter. That brings you to at least average. <laughs> Especially, at least. if It's the NHL. If not more. Like, you're probably in the top 10 already. Just by making one trade for Eichel. The team, however, that I'm going to give this to is the Calgary Flames. They needed to do more than just really make a trade. I mean, it could have just been one blockbuster trade. But at the end of the day, there was so much talk about what's going to happen with Sean Monaghan, what's going to happen with Johnny Gaudreau. Is this a team that could find their scoring touch? Because they cannot be a successful franchise or a successful team, at least not the way that most fans have them pegged, at least not the way that I had them pegged last year, that I had them second in the division, and they were way worse than that. They can't get to that status if they can't figure out their scoring. And I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big believer in a player like Sean Monaghan up the middle. At least not in that top end center slot. And I think Johnny Gaudreau's great. But overall, the morale of that team just seems down. That something needed to give. And they weren't able to make it happen. And that's very underwhelming. And if you're a Flames fan, pretty disappointing as well. It feels like they're in this weird state where they're trying to transition to, okay, this is Matthew Kachuk's team. The Goudreau, Monaghan, Giordano era kind of had their run, and it's time to move on from that. Obviously, Monaghan is still an okay player. Uh, Goudreau is, I think he could still be a really good player, but I just don't think he wants to be in Calgary anymore. Uh, but Matthew Kachak is the heart of that team now. And there were the reports that there's a divide in the locker room, and you kind of had to make a trade, and... Look, to me, the obvious move was Johnny Goudreau. Maybe you keep Monaghan because he doesn't necessarily have a lot of value for where compared to what he had a few years ago. But you probably could have gotten a pretty good haul for Johnny Goudreau, especially to a team that's looking for an elite winger that maybe just plays on the second line but still puts up a lot of points. Um, the issue is they just don't seem interested in playing hockey. Where, like, Matthew Kachuk does, the rest of the team, and, and look, I, it can change year to year. It depends on coach, depends on how the team is doing. But it seems like the players that, like, their give-a-crap meter for Jacob Markstrom, Chris Tanev, Matthew Kachuk, a few others, it's there. For guys like Johnny Goudreau, Sean Monahan, they feel a little bit checked out. I think when you look at the Calgary Flames... The thing that everybody is talking about there, and this is not necessarily a good thing, is Daryl Sutter. Right? Like, you, you've got this old-school coach, and with Daryl Sutter, everybody is talking about the kinds of players that he is bringing in. Daryl Sutter players. A guy like Eric Goodbranson, who Canucks fans know very well. A player like Nikita Zadorov who I really like as a player, but you can definitely see how he fits the Daryl Sutter mold. Brad Richardson, another former Canuck. Trevor Lewis. Guys that play with a lot of heft. Guys that play a very physical style. And listen, I like that kind of hockey. You know me, I'm old school. 
But that's not Calgary's problem. The Calgary Flames, in my eyes, Josh, on paper, they're a very good hockey team. I think they should do a lot better than they did last year. And for Vancouver fans, it might be okay just to get into the playoffs. But if you're a fan of the Flames, with this team that you have right now, I don't think it should be just get in and get eliminated in the first round. This team needs to make a little bit of a run for it to be a successful season, at least in my eyes. They've been missing a goalie for however many years, and they finally got one in Markstrom last year. Their defense is actually very solid, in my opinion. They haven't been able to get goal scoring. And obviously, trading or making a trade of the ilk of Johnny Goudreau and Sean Monaghan, two top six players, that's difficult to do. And GM Brad Living talked about that as well that it's hard, you can't just accept no any offer that you get. But at the same time, that still doesn't make it a, a an excuse. That still doesn't justify the fact that this is a team that needed changes to be made, and they're kind of just going back and running it back with an organization and with a franchise that has kind of failed over the last couple of seasons. I don't think they're substantially in a in a better spot than the Canucks are. Like They're just later in their window I guess so if you're a Flames fan like I I could see the Canucks and Flames finishing very close in fact I I would wager that they're going to finish very close in the standings but if you're a Flames fan you're like hey they they kind of got to win in the next couple years they just don't really have the team to do it and all the all their good players are going to age out soon and like look obviously Matthew Kachuk still has a lot of good years left but a lot of a lot of the other core, I mean, we know it with Chris Tanev, Jacob Markstrom, those were good players in Vancouver, but the reason they didn't get those contracts is because they may not have a lot of time left in their peaks. So the Flames got to win sooner rather than later, whereas the Canucks, they probably have a bit of a bigger window to reach that peak, which is why it's okay for them to just just make the playoffs this year and continue to grow in the next few seasons. It is Sportsnet tonight. Roger Shurgill alongside Josh Elliott. Wolf with you for about another hour's time here on the official home of the Canucks Sports at 650. We'll dive back into some National Football League talk as well on the other side. And we will also hear from the Deputy Commissioner of the National Hockey League, Bill Daly. He was on Sportsnet 650 earlier with Scott Rintoul and Jamie Dodd. We will replay that for you as well. It's Sportsnet tonight on the official home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. Now, here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. Final segment Sportsnet Tonight. It is not the final segment. Final hour. I'll take over. Sportsnet Tonight, Raja Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf. Just final kidding. hour. You can have it back. I was, uh, you know, I was, I was distracted by the music. It was fun. I just made a trade in fantasy, thinking about that. He's really worried. I am worried. Traded DJ Moore after he was hyping him up, <laughs> and he had an amazing game. But hey, maybe you sold high. And- maybe, maybe I did sell high. Uh, I won't get into what I did got back, but uh, I don't think people care about our fantasy teams. Nope. Um, final hour of the show, Sportsnet tonight. Bill Daly was on with uh, Scott Rintoul. We talked about a whole lot of issues, Josh. There's lots going on around the NHL. Obviously, uh, accusations and allegations toward Vander Kane as well. That was something that was talked about. It was a great interview as the NHL season gets going. Not just talking about the beginning of the National Hockey League year, but also talking about uh, all of the issues and and even what's going on with Jack Eichel and how the league plays a part in those talks and those conversations with Eichel and 
uh, the Sabres as well. Here's da- Bill Daly talking about what's at the top of his priority list to begin the campaign. Uh, well, actually, and I know uh, it's a topic you guys want to talk about. I'm, I'm uh, kind of in the middle of a uh, seminar with uh, Turner uh, Sports. Uh, all their talent is, is on a big Zoom call, and uh, we're kind of taking them through everything we do, and they're taking us through, you know, all their plans. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're, uh, we're all excited uh, with both of our new rights uh, holders in the United States, Turner being one of them. So from an NHL point of view in those discussions with Turner and I imagine with ESPN as well, what type of opinion does the league give on how those entities can be the best partner possible to the league? Well, I mean, obviously we, we had a really good run, strong run with NBC over a long period of time, and, and uh, I don't think anybody can question or argue that we weren't able to grow the sport uh, you know, by leaps and bounds uh, over the time that NBC had our rights. Um, having said that, I, I think uh, kind of moving back to ESPN, which, which is a traditional league rights holder, uh, you know, prior to 2005, um, uh, and really almost back to the inception of the network, um, you know, we're going to go to ESPN and we're going to get all the sports fans uh, in, in the United States. We're going to have a more prominent place on kind of a, a network or a group of networks, really a family of networks that uh, all American sports fans watch uh, religiously, including our players, um, which we've found over the years. Uh, they're really pumped uh, with kind of our return to, to ESPN. Um, the, the interesting part of kind of the dual relationship now with Turner is not only does ESPN have a good working relationship with Turner, they share obviously rights to the NBA um, and some other uh, sports as well. Um, but, uh, but, you know, Turner is, is, you know, really caters to a different audience, a much more entertainment-based audience, um, you know, popular culture, um, young demographics. Um, it, it's, a, it, it's a new audience that really we haven't serviced uh, for a while. Um, and so kind of we're really excited about the complement of, of uh, ESPN and Turner and their ability to uh, turn on new fans and expand our fan base even more than it's been expanded. It is about entertainment at the end of the day. He's the deputy commissioner of the NHL, I should say. Bill Daly joining us here today on Rintone Sermon with Jamie Dodd. Jack Eichel, pretty entertaining when he is healthy, when he's out there. I think we would all agree on that. Our Elliot Friedman reported last month that – there was a big meeting. The NHL had a presence there as well with the Sabres and Eichel's representatives, the NHLPA. Jack Eichel hasn't been traded as of yet. He hasn't had his procedure as of yet. Bill, what role, if any, does the league, can the league play in helping to find a resolution in this Jack Eichel situation in Buffalo? Well, I mean, I, I think that meeting, which which did transpire and, and really at the request of, of of the ICO camp, uh, believe it or not, um, but uh, certainly Sabres were willing to participate in it, was to see if we could find common ground. There's obviously a difference of opinion among uh, the medical experts involved and, and uh, which have been retained, um, you know, by, by the various sides in that case. Uh, you know, uh, I think the parties, both the ICO camp and, and the Sabres, uh, are very much aligned in the objective, which is to get Jack healthy as soon as uh, he possibly can be healthy, um, you know, because he's a great hockey player and he's got a, a, a great future in front of him. 
um, you know, the, the question is how you get there. And, and it is a complicated puzzle right now. Um, I, I know they're working through it. I, Jack uh, recently made a change in representation, and Pat Brisson, uh has been brought in. Um, and I know Pat's been spending a lot of time uh, with uh, both the ownership and, and the general manager in Buffalo. Um, and, and, again, I think they're on the same page. They share the same objective. Um, they're figuring out how to get there. So hopefully they can get there soon. Bill, one of the big stories, you know, across professional sports, not just for the NHL, obviously in the last 18 months, has been how COVID-19 and the pandemic have impacted revenues. And, you know, I think it is especially significant in the NHL because it's a salary cap league. And, you know, we've heard so much talk about, okay, there's going to be a flat cap for an extended period of time, or there's going to be some some modest potential a million dollar a year raises for a certain period of time. With what we know now, how long will it be, do you think, until the league gets back to something close to normal in terms of revenue, in terms of yearly increases in the salary cap? Well, uh, in terms of there are two different questions, obviously. Uh, in terms of revenue, um, we, we actually expect that this coming season will return to uh, kind of normal seasons in revenue uh, as we knew them. Um, and, you know, we should be able to expedite growth from there. So, uh, so you know, we're certainly hoping every, everything depends on COVID to a certain extent, uh, but we're certainly hoping to uh, be uh, close to normal this year. Um, you know, we, uh, you know we, we constantly survey our clubs. Um, we think at, at a minimum 28 of our clubs will be able to play to full capacity, uh, at, from the start of this season, um, uh, and maybe uh, in excess of 28. So, um, again, we, we expect from a, a league-wide revenue perspective to be uh, at or above uh, kind of where we were in our last full season, which was 18-19, and, and quite frankly, uh, at or above what we budgeted for 19-20. So, um, the the, the re- revenue recovery, uh, COVID uh, issues aside, um, and uh, wishing for the best, should be uh, fairly uh, rapid. Um, you know where the the salary cap comes in is kind of what the the extension we negotiated with the players association um, in the summer of of 2020. Um, had very specific parameters for um, uh, the, the salary cap and how that's going to grow uh, and to some extent how it's been detached from revenues, in, in part because, uh, you know, the players wanted to preserve as much of their salaries last year in a, in a low revenue year as possible. So uh, by kind of uh, detaching uh, those two things, there's a, there's a fairly sizable uh, debt um, that the, the players continue to owe us and will over the next couple of years, which will uh, modulate or, or restrict uh, the growth of the salary cap. So I do expect the salary cap next year, for instance, to grow by a million dollars. It'll continue to grow uh, by a million dollars every year until that debt is repaid. Um, our current projections show that debt will be repaid uh, well before the end of this collective agreement. Um, so at that point, um, you'll see kind of more normal growth in, in the salary cap that's related to revenues from year to year um, uh, kick into effect again. And you mentioned that, okay, you're getting back to normal in terms of revenue, and now you want to expedite revenue growth. And 
you know, I don't think I'm uh, I'm going out on a limb to say one of the avenues the league will be explore, exploring is sports betting. I know the NHL has partnered with a sports book, and that's something they've started to you've started to look at in the near term. How will that element and that partnership with a sports book and that foray into sports betting how will that change how average fans interact with the nhl well i mean there's a, it's a that's a long there's a long history to that question which is uh you know kind of the the legal landscape in the united states and when that changed and and uh what what happened after that changed and certainly we opened uh that Pandora's box uh, at the time the legal landscape in the states changed, which was uh, roughly three three to four years ago. So we actually have multiple relationships um, in in sports gaming, as do our clubs who who have that. Uh, it, it has generated certainly additional revenues. Uh, it has the ability to generate even more revenues in the future. Um, I think the biggest uh, thing that attracts us to it. Is, is really extra fan engagement um, uh, from you know the, the, the sports betting landscape. Um, we we really do think it's a driver uh, and an engine uh, for for increased engagement, uh, both by our existing fans but also new fans. Um, and so we'll continue to see kind of an increased uh, exploration into that area as we move forward, and, and we do expect that to be a significant revenue generator. I think the computer shut down. Sportsnet tonight, Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf. That happens. Technical difficulties. Technical difficulties. That's okay. I will say one thing here at Sportsnet 650. We use a, a program called Burley to run our interviews and stuff. And every once in a while, this has been like my fear the whole time I've worked here. And I think it happened to me once before. But sometimes we replay interviews like that, and you kind of just have to hope that it's not going to shut down because it shuts <laughs> down often. Uh, and it happened this time. It did happen this time. Uh, that was a pretty good chat with uh, Bill Daly. And, you know, we were just getting to the meat of it. We were just getting to the, the really good part of it where he's talking about Evander Kane and he's talking about uh, the situation that's happening in Buffalo. Like, it was going to get really good. So maybe we'll uh, get that uh, playing for you again when we can figure that out. Um one thing that he mentioned in that interview, and I want to talk about this after, but we can dive into it a little bit right now before Joel gets it ready. Um, the salary cap is going to go up a little bit more uh, over the coming years, but not a whole lot, not as much as people expected. Bill Daly saying that you can expect it to go up about a mil next year, about a mil the year after. There's a debt. I don't really know exactly how that works, obviously. It's That's a lot for of, smarter people yeah, to figure It's out. a lot of crunching of the numbers and what players are owing. And uh, be based on that, the players, <clears throat> pardon me, the players uh, owe the league a little bit of money, apparently. So once that is paid back to the league, that's when we could expect the salary cap to really rise. And Bill Daly mentioning in that interview there that by the end of this collective bargaining agreement, that is expected to be paid off completely. So we should have higher, uh, so we should have growth in the salary cap in the next handful of seasons. But for the first couple, it's going to be. Just very, very small growth. But we'll get you back to Bill Daly speaking with Scott Rintoul and Jamie Dodd earlier. On that subject of ongoing investigations, obviously there is one currently going on with the Chicago Blackhawks. Where are we at in that investigation? Um, you know, I don't have anything new to report on that. Uh, we're, we're also plugged in uh, into the progress of that investigation probably 
uh, less directly because that is a, an investigation that was commissioned by the Chicago Blackhawks, but certainly we're, we're part and, uh, and parcel of, of the end product there. Um, you know, I, I think they're doing everything appropriate. Uh, they're doing it in a, in a uh, deliberate way, uh, which I think is appropriate given, given the nature of these allegations, how old they are, um, and certainly no indication that there's, that there's anything um, that is ongoing currently um, that that is is problematic or dangerous. So um, you know, look, they're they're doing what they need to do. They're doing it in a deliberate fashion, and and they're going to get to um, the right conclusions, uh, whatever those might be. Bill, another major storyline in the NHL, the world of hockey, the world of sports, over the last year and eighteen months has been the conversation around diversity, inclusion, tolerance equity. And I know the NHL and the Hockey Diversity Alliance have decided not to work directly together, but what is the league planning to do, going to do this season to try and move that conversation forward? Well, I mean, we it, it's really something we've been doing for for quite some time now. Um, you know, and that uh, predates uh, Kim Davis coming on into her current position at the league, but certainly has been accelerated since Kim has come on, you know, we, we have our own uh, group of individuals. We actually have four committees who are focused on uh, diversity and inclusion at different levels of the sport, whether it be youth hockey, whether it be fan inclusion, whether it be executive inclusion. Um, so we, we have a number of ongoing programs uh, designed to promote uh, diversity and inclusion in our sport. Um, you know, the recommendations of the Executive Inclusion Council, um, you know, that, that oversits uh or sits over uh, all these committees. We're, we're actually vetted with the, the the board of governors at our meeting just two days ago. So it continues to be a priority. Uh, we continue to kind of uh, have uh, active programs. We reach out and and uh, share best practices with our clubs and make sure uh, that they're doing what they need to do locally. Um, again, huge priority for the league, and, and uh, we're pleased with the progress we're making, and we expect to continue to make that progress and accelerate it going forward. Bill, I know it's about all 32 franchises, but how much has Seattle and the way that they have outfitted their operation and the strides they have made in those areas, how much has that set a template for other teams in this league? Well, I, I, there's no doubt uh, that they've done a tremendous job uh, by all indications. Uh, obviously, established a fan base already, um, a, a pretty uh, um, unbelievable fan base without even having dropped the puck or played a game. Um, their jersey launch, which uh, which happened within the last week, was uh, the the top jersey launch ever uh, in, in the national hockey league and actually maybe beyond, uh, the national hockey league as well. It's, it's just kind of off the charts. Um, you know, all, all they've done with respect to the, the, their arena, their new arena, um, climate pledge arena, um, you know, what they've done in the community already in Seattle. Again, you, you, you put it right. They've set a very high bar for not only for future expansion franchises, but really for all the other clubs in our league. So, um, you know, obviously, uh, we're excited to, to see them drop the puck and get playing games. But, but to this point, um, you're right, they've, they've certainly been a model franchise. That was Bill Daly on with Rintoul and Sermon earlier today uh, on the home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd filling in for Karen Sermon.
alongside Scott Rentoul. A lot of good conversation coming out of that with Bill Daly, and, and we just mentioned the cap implications as well. Uh, he also talked about Evander Kane and that situation, how that's playing out. Evander Kane obviously will not be uh, present at San Jose Sharks training camp. I don't expect him to play in the regular season as well with all that's going on surrounding Evander Kane. Uh, although the investigation that was initially done about the accusations made by his wife towards betting on his own games, that one, uh, the results of that have come back uh, and the league finding, or it wasn't actually the league, a third party uh, team finding that there was no betting done on his own games by Evander Kane. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that conversation, Bill Daly, uh, on earlier today. By the way, if you missed any of the interviews or segments from Sportsnet 650, you can always go online, sportsnet.ca slash 650, and find the interviews on whatever show that you want to listen to on that website. Also, the full podcast posted wherever you find your podcast, Apple Music, Spotify, sportsnet.ca as well. Uh, head on over there, uh, including... On this show, we talked to Dylan Kular earlier, president of the Fraser Valley Bandits, announcing the move to the Langley Event Center for his franchise, and also uh, with Rob the Hockey Guy talking about what's happening or what has happened at Vancouver Canucks training camp. Josh, uh, on a day where Bag Skate Gate was all over Twitter, uh, and uh, how Ole Olevi, Oliver Ekman Larson, and Connor Garland were uh, having a tough time adjusting to Green's infamous bag skates. So, I don't know if this is breaking news, but we have information from Ian McIntyre. Uh, an article just went up on Sportsnet.ca, written by Sportsnet's triple threat, Ian McIntyre, talking to Garland and talking about Garland, and we know we know why he threw up now. So, maybe hit the breaking news. Breaking news. Okay. Connor Garland quote coming at you. In Ian McIntyre's article, you can read it now on sportsnet.ca, he says, quote, I ate too big a breakfast. I just ate too much. It's it's not like it's a big deal. Sometimes I try to let it happen. I used to run cross country, and sometimes you let throwing up happen. Makes you feel better rather than feeling like crap all day. So I feel better now. That that I do the same thing, but not after I play sports. <laughs> Mostly after a day of drinking a lot. Yeah. You, sometimes you just got to let it happen. Sometimes. I, honestly, I I can't be that guy. Like, I will fight vomit <laughs> to the bitter end until it forces its way out. But I, I think Connor Garland, I think I know where he got that strategy from. I think I know where uh, the vomiting on purpose strategy comes from. I feel like it's the same strategy that I use uh on, on Friday or, you know, Friday nights or Saturday mornings or whenever it might be after uh, you've partaken in some activities. Usually yeah, but, that result in coming home very late. Yeah. And, and look, you can also take this Connor Garland quote as like, hey, I, I know what my body felt and I know I wanted to put in a little bit more effort. And so to do that, I just had to let it go. Also, what was the breakfast? It, it, well, we don't know. It was just too big. <laughs> Uh, wrong answers only. What did Connor Garland eat oh, for breakfast? I don't think I want to know. I don't think I want to know. I what? assume, well, if it's day one of training camp, I assume it's a good breakfast. Probably. I assume he just had like four eggs instead of three <laughs> and it really threw off the whole thing. And probably. Um, 
Very good. Great breaking news there. Uh, now we know exactly why he threw up. Uh, could we ask Troy Stetcher if that was the same reason for him? Or is I, that just different? Uh, it's probably a different. He, if he did it every year, I assume <laughs> he just didn't learn the, the lesson from the first year. I don't think so. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott-Wolf, it is Sportsnet tonight. Uh, well, Deep, uh, well, there was a funny funny video I saw floating around on the Twitter sphere earlier on today talking about the New York Jets and just how big of a disappointment they really are. We'll play that for you on the other side uh, and, and get back into the Canucks conversation as well. It is Roger Shergill. It is Josh Elliott-Wolf on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott-Wolf. Now here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. Can I can I say it now? Can I say it now? You're allowed. Final segment. It is Sports Night tonight's final segment. I'm I got it right. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf on the official of the Canucks Sports Night 650. This is Sports Night tonight, and as I mentioned, it's the final segment. Josh of was trash. Josh, yeah, <laughs> Josh was trashing on me last well, last half hour. We've got two shows this week. We're almost done. And you come out here at 9 o'clock <laughs> with our final segment. And people probably just tuned out. Yeah. They were like, you know what? This this last segment is always bad. <laughs> I had to keep them in. But you, yes, you did. You did a very good job. Uh, I'm proud of you. Uh, not as bad as the New York Jets. They are, they are, um, they're not great. They're, they're not no- good. They're notoriously bad. Sam Darnold didn't work out there. Zach Wilson is having a tough time. Four, I think it was four interceptions last week, maybe five. I know the last time I saw the game on while I was watching Red Zone, it was four. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he added a couple more. And, like, look, the Patriots' defense is Bill Belichick. It's good, but I don't know if the Patriots – like, they're, they're going to be a good team this year, but I don't know if they're – he should have struggled that much. And I think people of all ages understand that the New York Jets are not that good. 19 for 33, 210 yards, four interceptions. You're right. People of all ages understand. There's this kid. I wish I could give him credit. I don't even know where it's from. I think it was on TikTok. It was on TikTok, but I saw I posted on Twitter. Uh, and he's he's breaking down this play by the New York Jets with Zach Wilson under center, has the ball in his hand, just looking for somebody to pass it to. And just take a look or take a listen to what is happening in this situation as this young kid breaks down the New York Jets downfall. If there's one play that sums up the New York Jets, this one has to be it. This Patriot's winning off the edge. This Jets lineman is probably holding. There's a Patriot charging up the middle at Zach with no blocking at all. This Jets dude is being pancaked on the ground. We have these two idiots staring at each other like, yo, what are we doing? I don't know. Let's just stand here. We have 78 touching his own lineman. On top of that, we have two receivers with zero separation, and the cherry on top has to be Zach Wilson throwing this pick. And Corey Davis has no hops. And Corey Davis has no hops. You gotta wait for it. <laughs> wait for it. And Corey Davis has. And no yeah, hops. that was the play. You could probably you probably seen it. You can find it on Twitter. It was the play where Zach Wilson threw it. It was popped up in the air. Corey Davis went to catch it, and he, he has no hops, so he did not catch it. It bounced off his hands. Patriots intercepted it, but it was just a mess of a play. But the kid described it so well. He, he was amazing. He's he's built to be an analyst. That's what he should be. When he I wish up. analysts came on and did that. Like, I wish Kevin Bieksa 
was breaking down a Canucks game. And he's like, you know, this idiot's out in the corner. <laughs> he's not he's not watching his guy. Like Dickinson and uh Pod Colson are just at the blue line, no separation. Uh, the favorite, my favorite part was when he's like, "These two guys are just standing here, looking at each other. Like, let's just stand here. It's <laughs> good." And if you watch the video, the video makes it a lot better because you can actually see all that's happening. the The very first thing you'll see is the Patriots linebacker just rushing him straight up the middle, and he's got like half a second to make this pass. It's about to be a disaster. And obviously it proves to be that as Zach Wilson throws it straight up the middle. Corey Davis obviously showing that he has no hops and, and the ball gets picked. Uh, by the way, the last game, 25-6. to six. It's not a great not a great game for the Jets. And honestly, like their first week, I, I have to remember, but I'm pretty sure like they went through their first week and I, I was honestly hopeful for them. I was like, you know what, maybe they won't be as bad this year. People were excited about Michael Carter as well. Yeah, Michael Carter. Uh, and I thought they had a chance at being better than Jacksonville, maybe even, or sorry, better than Houston, maybe even Jacksonville. And now they're just kind of, they're jetsing it up. But And Corey Davis showed that he had hops in that first game. It's what made you pretty, uh, pretty excited. You know, you've got a new quarterback under center. You've got this team that's obviously hoping that they can build somewhat of a winning culture there and and Corey Davis had two touchdowns 97 yards five receptions like he had a pretty good game pretty good outing everybody was excited and then uh, literally one more one week later uh this like 10 year old kid is saying that he's got no hops <laughs> could you imagine you're Corey Davis your 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 game's over you're like man that didn't go very well I popped that that ball up and the other guy intercepted it I'm gonna go on Twitter. oh no this 10 year old's making fun of me now um and it doesn't really get easier for the Jets. I mean, I guess it kind of does. They're taking on the Broncos this week. I would rather play the Broncos than the Patriots, but I still take the Broncos in that game. Um, it doesn't get easy for them the following week after that either. They've got Derrick Henry coming into town. He is going to run rampant on that defense. Uh, but that's probably one of the less exciting games on the schedule. I know yesterday we kind of talked about, or sorry, today in the five W's, we talked about the ones we're, we're most looking forward to. You said Chargers and Chiefs. Also gave a shout-out to the Bears and Browns. I said the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the L.A. Rams, which should be really exciting. Uh, by the way, the Seahawks taking on the Minnesota Vikings. That will probably be an exciting game because I'll tell you right now, it's going to come down to a kick. And the Vikings are going to have a chance to make that kick. And they are going to miss <laughs> because they are the Minnesota Vikings. And and you cheer for them on a week-in and week-out basis. I choose to. Honestly, okay, here's the thing. I think fans of every sport, there should be a team that fans have to cheer for for at least two years. And so, like, in football, I think it's the Minnesota Vikings. And You, because- mean, a, you mean a team that's just, like... That just breaks your heart so that you understand how it feels. Do you do you realize which market you're talking to right no, now? No, and I was going to say, in hockey, Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> I don't think it's going to take much. Uh, you know, I think people here in Vancouver realize. Yeah. So, hockey, Vancouver Canucks, football, Minnesota Vikings, baseball, like the Mariners, probably. Probably. Um, it's a good one. And then basketball – Really, any team that isn't the Lakers, Golden State, or um, like the Brooklyn Nets now, I guess. 
But yeah, if you're a Canucks fan, you're probably pretty aware that sports hurt to watch. And for me, I, I've chosen a couple bad teams that just like to break your heart. And the worst part is like the Vikings are supposed to be, I, I wouldn't say great, but they're supposed to be better than they are. So when you have actual expectations, it hurts all that much more. And you know what? When it comes to a team like the the Vancouver Canucks or, or the or the uh, the Minnesota Vikings or the Seattle Mariners, when you cheer for these teams, the success when it comes, then I hope every sports fans gets to watch their their team have success and win a championship and go on a meaningful run. It means that that success when it comes is going to be all the more sweet, is it not? Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like if you if you're a fan of a team that goes through, and that's why Canucks fans, and I think Canucks fans are very aware of this, and they kind of just wish it happened by now. But when you've been a fan of a team that has struggled for so long, like the Vancouver Canucks have, that have never won a Stanley Cup, like the Buffalo Sabers. Just bring it back to the I, I I like to loop as many teams in as I can so that you can realize you're you're all sharing the pain. Um but eventually, eventually they will win, hopefully. Well, you know what? For hockey, it's actually very optimistic if you are a team that's in the sad club because over the last number of years, a lot of teams have gotten out of it, right? You look at the LA Kings in 2012, they win their first Stanley Cup, and over the last couple of years, it's been the St. Louis Blues. It's been the uh, it's been the uh, Washington Capitals winning the Stanley Cup as well. The Bruins when they won, not to bring back bad memories, but that was uh, breaking a breaking a, a long streak of losing uh, the Chicago Blackhawks as well. So over the past decade or so, a lot of teams that have that that have not had success for a very very long period of time, they have gotten over the hump and they have won championships. So uh, you know. Every t- It's cyclical, right? You're going to have success at some point. Yeah, and, and look, I know Canucks fans are like, well, we've gone through three cycles. <laughs> and, well, three decade-long cycles where, okay, 82, they weren't going to beat the Islanders because they were the Islanders. And 94, that's when he had a really good shot. 2011, probably should have won. And even in 94, the Rangers won it after 54 years. Yeah, right? exactly. It took a long time for the Rangers to finally get back and, and get back to being a superstar team. And that's an original six franchise, a big market that loves hockey. So you can imagine how it was. It's good in the sense that, uh, you know, it, it's good in the sense that when you get it, it's going to feel all that more special, like the Chicago Cubs. Could you imagine the, that, that fan awesome. base? That's probably like, look, we weren't alive. I'm a Blue Jays fan. We weren't alive for 92, 93. But as a baseball fan, that's probably my favorite world series just because like it was amazing to watch and everything after just the the celebration and and everything it was just like they were the laughing stock of sports for so long and they finally got over the hump it's gonna happen one day canucks fans but are you hockey's different because i think here in canada Fans have such a big hatred towards other Canadian teams, especially in Vancouver with the with the Flames and the Oilers and, and the Leafs as well, just because they are Toronto. But at the end of the, at the end of the day, you know that your fellow fan for a different team 
also has the same passion for their team that you have for the Canucks here in Vancouver. So would you feel a sense of happiness if that team were to win? I if don't know. The, if like the Flames or Oilers were to win? So really, really I, any team I think the question is, because the drought for the Vancouver Canucks is obviously their entire franchise, but three years shorter than the Toronto Maple Leafs. So theoretically, let's say the Maple Leafs won the Stanley Cup. I don't think anybody in Vancouver is happy. And when you talk about Canadian franchises, the one thing I hate is like, Hey, it's Canada's team. You have to cheer yeah, for them. No. no, I am not cheering for any other Canadian. So I get it, and that's the I think that's the 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 answer that most fans would have. And I agree with it and I understand it. That you're not going to be happy if another Canadian team wins the Stanley Cup. That being said, I feel like when diehard fan bases that have struggled for so long get that chip, like a part of me feels happy for them. And I don't know if that's a good... Like, for hockey, like I said, because we're so deeply into it that you have developed such hatred for other teams, it might not be easy to, you know, feel happy. But as you just mentioned, the Chicago Cubs, you felt happy for that for that fan base, even though you're not a you're not a Chicago Cubs fan. So I, so I kind of feel that way for certain franchises. With hockey... It's still there a little bit. I understand a, a, more of a more of a hatred, more of them not wanting to win. That being said, I, I still do think that I would feel a little a little happy, maybe, just feel for that franchise, not necessarily for the team, not for the players, just for that city. Fair. Feel free to text in. I feel like I'm going to get roasted on this take. <laughs> yeah, text in six fifty six fifty, Dunbar Lumber text line. What? Let's say what teams would you be? happy for if they won a Stanley Cup in the NHL, whether it be a Canadian team or really anywhere across the continent. Sportsnet tonight, Roger Trigill, Josh Ellie Wolf, super interactive as well. Would you be happy if it was Buffalo? I would be so happy if it was Buffalo. <laughs> really, honestly. You would be happy for the same. I would be so, like just because they've gone through so much. Sure. And also, okay, look, it's you came in at the same time as the Vancouver Canucks. You've been expansion siblings all the way up until this point. And both teams, I don't want to say have equally struggled because I think the Sabres have struggled more as far as like their on-ice performance goes. But that being said, it doesn't matter if you didn't win Stanley Cup. So you're kind of equally there. That's the reason I would say I'd be happy for them. On the opposite end of the spectrum, you know what I dislike the most? <laughs> Is it this text? Well, uh, definitely the text. Uh, we'll, let's read the text. Josh Shelley Wolf is the best host ever. When is he going to have a full-time show? That I think your... that's probably someone I know. Is that your mom texting him? I, honestly, I don't know phone numbers because I'm I'm 23 years old and I don't remember phone numbers. Uh, but it might be. It's oh. probably someone I know. I'm going to assume it's someone I know or someone I should know because they obviously yeah. are a big fan. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you might need to sign an autograph after this. Uh do people still get autographs? I don't think from radio hosts. <laughs> <laughs> but in general. Yes, definitely. Do they? Like from like sports players? Yeah. And like celebrities? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Doesn't seem Have like Have you much. not like signed jerseys are still a thing? Jerseys are a thing, but like Do you just mean like on a piece of paper? Uh, yes, on a piece of paper. Ah uh, I, I don't jersey, know if anybody a, ever did that. On a jersey it makes sense. What? Did people If you saw a celebrity, didn't people just have Joel, you're older than us. Did 
Did people ever easy get... Easy there, easy. I'm not that much better <laughs> than you guys. Let's did, just be clear about did that. Did celebrities ever get... Or did people ever get signatures on paper? Absolutely. And, yes. I what? mean, way back in the day, I remember I met in, I don't know, probably 2005 or so, I went and seen Alexis on Fire with Rise Against at the Commodore Ballroom. And Dallas Green was standing outside, and I kind of waited around or whatever, and I chatted with him for a few minutes. And this is before everybody had cell phones on or cameras on their cell phones, rather. So it wasn't like you had, unless you had a digital camera with you, you didn't really have an ample opportunity to kind of take a picture with said celebrity or whomever, right? Right. So back in the day, yeah, you'd grab a pen and a piece of paper, and a lot of times you'd run up to a person and say, hey, can I have your autograph? And they go, I don't have a pen. And Uh. you you don't carry a pen around, so it's kind of like, uh, uh. And you can tell the story about asking a celebrity for an autograph, but neither one of you had a pen, so you just settle for a handshake. So Josh yeah. and I are only, we're only a year apart, Josh, but you make me sound old after that take. Like, Were you getting paper signatures? I, I was not, but I, I didn't have, I never met anybody that I wanted to get an autograph of. Right. Like I, if I if I met a an athlete that I really looked up to when I was younger, or if I met a, a movie star or a singer or something like that, then for sure I would have. But I never, I never got lucky when I was a kid. I never got a chance to, to really meet anybody that I would have liked for an autograph. Nowadays, if I wanted one, I wouldn't get one. I would just take a picture. Yeah, that, but, and that's the thing. I think what Joel was saying yeah. is like people used to do it so they could go to other people and be like, hey, look, I met this person. So, okay, I guess that makes sense. Whereas now you're like, hey, I took a selfie with them. Right. Um, that's what I meant. Is autograph still a thing? I don't think so. I do well, yeah. As far as paper goes, they're definitely not a thing anymore. A <laughs> little yeah. bit obsolete for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, uh, funny story for you guys. So, uh, same thing. It was about two thousand four, two thousand five or so. Um, the place I was living in uh, down south here, uh, they were filming X Men Two at my house. Um, so the production company put us up in the Sutton Place Hotel uh, downtown while they were filming at our house. And we go through the lobby, and who's uh, who's sitting in one of the lounge chairs in the lobby? Burt Reynolds. I'm like. You know, holy crap, that's Burt Reynolds. Like, you know, I'm I was 18 or whatever at the time, and I wasn't very shy. So, so Josh's age. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I went up to Mr. Reynolds and I said, "Hey, you know, like, nice to meet you. I'm a big fan, and and you know, it's pretty cool. What are you doing here in Vancouver? Oh, you're shooting a movie. That's cool." Um, and he says, "You know, uh, you're pretty young, kid. Do you do you know any of my movies?" And I said, "Oh yeah, like you know, I, I know a lot of them, and I, I followed your career and stuff." And he goes, "Oh okay. What's your favorite movie of mine?" And I said, "Um." <laughs> I mean, I really liked you in Boogie Nights. And he goes, are you old enough to watch that? And I said, oh, not really, but, you know, we watched it and whatever. But uh, I think my favorite, favorite movie of you is Mystery Alaska, where you play the hockey coach. And he goes, yeah, I must be in Canada because no one's ever given me that answer before. (laughs) Definitely. This is the other thing. If I saw, like, a celebrity that I didn't actually know, or like, okay, so let's say... I have a handful of celebrities that I, I follow, whether they be musicians or, or actors or whatever, where like, if I saw Ryan Reynolds walking down the street, it'd be like, Hey, that's Ryan Reynolds. But if it's like a B list person and obviously Burt Reynolds probably isn't a B list person, but if I saw a B list person, I just, I wouldn't know them. And so I'm also not going up to them and being like, Hey, can I get your paper autograph please? <laughs> No, I feel you. Like again, when I when I was younger, only the only autographs I really wanted was either a singer that I really followed, but mostly athletes. 
Oh, yeah. Mostly athletes. And, uh, you know, so, uh, again, I never got a chance to meet any hockey players, football players, basketball players when I was younger. Never really got a chance to, I don't know, where what I have. Like, obviously, you've got the... Uh, you got the opportunity to wait in line as they're in, you know, stores to do actual signings. That's different. But uh, just met somebody on the street. I never had an interaction like that. Yeah, the only time I have ever had that, and even then it was like it was a really weird thing, was when I went to Disneyland. Uh, I think a couple of years ago with my girlfriend, and we had just gotten there, and we're going through. So if you've been to Disneyland, there's like downtown disney which is like you don't have to pay to get in you kind of just go there and shop or whatever um and we're walking through and we see these two big like security guard looking guys and we're like oh there must be like someone important nearby but we couldn't see anybody and then like 10 feet behind them is kim kardashian and we're like oh that makes sense. that's kim kardashian is that the moment where your girlfriend freaks out more than you do no like we both didn't realize until like we had passed, and oh. then we kind of, like, looked back, and we're like, we knew the person, but we couldn't put the name on it, and and then we figured it out. And then she, she did freak out a little bit so more than I freaked out. So you couldn't out. put a name on Kim Kardashian? Not immediately. Well, like, when you see somebody in person, rather than seeing them in a picture or whatever, it's way different. So question for you, Josh. Did you, when you were sitting there walking hand-in-hand hand with your girlfriend and you saw Kim Kardashian walk by, did you turn into the meme where the guy's looking back and <laughs> girlfriend we, has a really upset face is i that think we kind of basically both did, happened honestly <laughs> yeah it's pretty accurate <laughs> we were just both the dude in that scenario where we're both looking back and like oh my god that was but and then and then we had to like look it up later online and there's like these weird tabloid websites that just follow celebrities and we're like oh yeah she was there and so that's my that's my one story. I did I think, not ask her for a paper autograph. I think it's weirder that you didn't know who Kim Kardashian was. <laughs> well, like I knew I I had an idea that it was I, her. I don't think she falls under the B list category, no, especially but, in in the dem, in our demographic. But of here's the thing: like I would have thought with somebody like her, there'd be a flood of people, right? That are like that's the security guys are for. But even <sighs> even then, that would be like, hey, that's her. But nobody else was doing that. It was right. just us that like kind of turned around and we were like, nobody else was reacting. Right. I guess. So that's I don't Cal- know how often she goes to Disney. Oh, that's California for you. <laughs> yeah. Like the it's the same here. People see Ryan Reynolds and they're like, yeah, there's Ryan. <laughs> there's Ryan. There's Elias just <laughs> yeah. hanging out. Yeah. Don't bug him. <laughs> yeah. I think that happened a lot with like Roberto Luongo when he was here. Just like, just leave him alone. He's got a big game tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. He's going to talk to you about his contract. <laughs> he's going to say it sucks. And then you, it's going to be a five minute conversation yeah. that you're not going to want to have. This went off the rails. We were talking about sports teams and what we don't like. And I don't know what happened. And now we don't have time. Because like I mentioned, over. like I mentioned, that was the final segment. Maybe people should have tuned out when you did say final <laughs> segment. Come for the sports talk. Stay for uh, us talking about celebrities and Kim Kardashian. Apparently, never thought I would ever talk talk about Kim Kardashian for five minutes on a sports talk radio show. You're welcome. Way to go, Josh. Uh, Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf. You won't hear from us for a couple more weeks. Literally, we're actually not scheduled to host another show until. I don't know, a couple more weeks. You're off for a bit. I am off for a bit. I am going to uh, the province right now where you probably shouldn't be going. (laughs) Probably a bad idea. Yeah, COVID is uh, taking over Alberta, uh, and I've decided to go to Alberta. Uh, I've actually got a wedding. Uh, Right in time for hockey season, I'll be taking about a week off, going to beautiful Calgary, Alberta, uh, for a wedding. Uh, So I will see you, Josh, uh, sometime when I'm back next week. Hope it doesn't snow. (laughs)
<laughs> Hope not. Uh, that's it for us. Training camp continues tomorrow. Lots more Canucks conversation coming on Sportsnet 650 as the season is just around the corner. The Vancouver Canucks also in preseason action as well as they will take on the Seattle Kraken, Josh, on Sunday. Get hyped. The very first Let's game. Let's get in- cracking. <laughs> The very first game in Kraken history. How long have you been waiting to drop <laughs> I had Josh. it in the pocket. 9.53, I hit it. You did hit it. You, yeah. It's uh, it's time to go. Thanks for tuning in. Roger Shergill. That's Josh Elliott Wolf. Producer Joel Gaudet is here as well. Thanks so much for tuning in on the official home of the Canucks. This is Sportsnet 650.